Happy Friday to you on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here from the DriveHubor.com studios. Lots to get into today. We'll have reactions to Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals as the Panthers are finally on the board with an overtime victory over Las Vegas last night. We'll take a dive as well into Game 4 of the NBA Finals. Nuggets and Heat. Denver looking to grab a commanding 3-1 to series lead there. Miami trying to still make it a series. James, as we jump around today, we'll also cover reactions from earlier in the week with Colts OTAs that were available to the media. We'll dive deeper into James's favorite topic that he often loves to get into on Twitter, which is, what do all the reps mean, James? Where, where, where do we divide up these reps? Does it actually mean anything? Oh, my goodness. But before we, <laughs> before we get into that fun and, and entertainment, I'll, I'll be honest on the front end. I was able to catch most of overtime of Game 3, but I was not able to catch the drama that unfolded there. So I will defer to you two in this regard. When you, and maybe Eddie's the right person to ask about this, but when you look at that game as a whole, we mentioned through the first two that it was all Las Vegas. They looked like a far better team, particularly on the offensive end. I had stressed when we had Will Haskett on earlier in the week that at least from my faraway vantage point, this run for the Panthers is built on, among other things, perfect goaltending. And while it wasn't perfect last night, it was enough and the offense carry the day as well so as we jump around between finals and stanley cup finals do we have a series on the ice nope all right then <laughs> i'm gonna say yes i mean you're back in it 2-1 it you win the next game it's 2-2 i think sometimes in every sports league in the playoffs you get too caught up in the score and it's like they have no chance it doesn't matter if you win by one goal or five goals or 10 goals you just have to win and they, that's what they did and so I do think that it's crazy that they're undefeated in the playoffs in overtime, 7-0. It's wild. Um, which is probably a good reason of why they're in the finals. So, hey, you give yourself a chance to uh, inject life into the team, get, get some confidence, and obviously you know you can beat them. I think that's also a psychological hurdle is every player is going to say, oh, we can win. But, like, you don't really know it until you do it, right? So they did it once, and, um, you know, you, you feel confident going into game four because you're like, okay, if we can even this thing up, then it really gets serious. But I do think, had they lost last night, the Panthers, that is, that would have been a death sentence. Eddie, you are very often in the realm of playoff hockey is undefeated, but when you look at a series and think that we don't have ourselves a high-quality series, are you still locked in? Oh, yeah, I'm still locked okay. in. I mean, okay. I need something to watch when the Reds aren't playing. Fair. Even sometimes one might argue prior to earlier this week when they're playing, but that appears to have shifted the tide now with LA De La Cruz yes. up there. So. Yep, yep. Reds are fun again. We'll dive into that a little bit later as well. On the other side of South Florida, or the other side of Florida in general, because when you look at where the Panthers are in relation to, it's not American Airlines Arena anymore, and it's not that crypto arena name anymore. I don't know what the name of it is anymore because they've... <laughs> That's a rabbit hole we don't need to dive down to. But the other team in Florida, do we see this thing tied at two games apiece as things shift back to Denver? It's called Casilla Center now? There it is. I forget what it was called when I was on the beat. So it's, it's changed literally every year. But I do think that Miami has a shot. And I'll say that because Jimmy Butler has said he expects to win, as he says, after every game. Right. But um, His mantra. Yeah, I think that you know if they're going to have any chance of winning this series, they got to win this game at home to even things up and head back to you know Nuggets land in Denver with a chance to take the series lead but I think that this game 
will likely determine the series. I do think that if the Nuggets go up 3-1, it's over. I just don't see how you come back from that against a team that, again, plays pretty smart for the most part and has what many to believe and what I'm starting to believe is the best player in the world. I mean, the stuff that Nikola Jokic is doing is unbelievable. I mean, he's putting up numbers we haven't seen. And them as a duo, him and Murray, we haven't seen these numbers since Shaq and Kobe. You know, 20 years ago. So this is special stuff we're we're witnessing. Yeah, particularly with with those two position groups, right? I mean, obviously we've seen dual guards go off in the past, like Clay and like Steph, right. and, and we've seen whoever LeBron's running mate was at the time, whether it was Dwayne Wade, whether it was Kyrie Irving. Like we've seen similar number sets in terms of just offensive explosions from running mates before. But you're right when you're putting up dual triple doubles you're entering a rarefied air that just is not often sniffed. And I'm with you. Denver's a one seed, so it's hard to look at them and not think, even with all the media coverage where it was and Michael Malone slamming his hand on the table and all that good stuff, that they aren't fully deserving to be here because they are. They've been one of the most dominant teams throughout the season, hence their seeding. But we talked about it going into the playoffs, James, that it was all going to come down to in this non-Big 3 era, but where it's built around team building and it's built around having two players that you can solidly rely on, even though they have that in their back pocket with Jamal Murray and with Nikola Jokic, where you can almost count on them to pull out a W when they're both well in the double figures of 25, 30, 35 and up, that's not what they've needed to be able to make this run because they were so well built throughout the last couple of drafts and through their free agency moves, which is why we've labeled them and why other teams that are in the Pacer situation are looking at Denver and saying, well, of course, you still have to find the superstar guy, regardless of what round you find him in. You have to find your go-to, but you also need great team building throughout consecutive drafts, and that's why we keep hammering home and why we're following the Pacers' workouts, why we're so curious what they're going to do at 7 or if they move up or not is because that is the best pathway for small market or medium-sized market success within today's NBA. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that Christian Brown, who should be Christian Braun, by the way. <laughs> I don't understand last names. That's You're in the Van whole, Gundy camp. That's though. a whole different topic. I'm just like, <laughs> do you just wake up one day back in whenever your, I guess, family started? It's like, oh, I'll just say it like this, and we just go along with it. That makes no sense at all. But anyways, Christian Brown, who actually worked out for the Pacers last year, I thought he would have good, would have been a good pick for them had he still been there. But I do think that um, he helped them win game three. He had a hell of a performance, and he's exactly the type of player they needed. And so when you look at that type of performance, obviously the Pacers aren't going to the finals next season, knock on wood. I mean, if they do, I'll be there to witness it all. But, yeah, you be both. Um, I do think that there are players in this class who may not, sitting at that seventh spot, they may not be – generational talent but they can help you again like you said ascend in the right direction until you find that next star i want to transition to the gridiron for a little bit jimmy cook james boyd eddie garrison with us here as well on the fan midday show we are going to have a conversation a little bit later actually coming up next segment in fact with justin lewis does a great job covering the jaguars for jacksonville.com but our conversation angle there is as this Isaiah Rogers drama continues to unfold and more details start to come out again, nothing new 
to this point, other than the NFL investigation is ongoing, and you all have seen Rodgers' statement from that point in time. But what can be learned, if at all, from Calvin Ridley and the perspective of those that are on the Jaguars' beat and are able to talk to Calvin Ridley? For those of you that don't follow suspensions in the NFL or miss this for some reason, per the article, nearly two years or right around there since Calvin Ridley has been on a football field, 687 days since the last time he played in a regular season game. When they, That's a <laughs> that's an equation that will add up to when week one arrives for the Jaguars. It's been quite some time since Calvin Ridley's been on a football field because he's been on games. And that's a perspective that we're going to dive into when we talk with Justin Lewis here next segment is even if it's not with the Colts, and my tune on this changes to a degree depending on what Isaiah Rodgers actually was betting on if it was against the Colts or for the Colts changes my perspective on this but that can do a lot to a player regardless of what position you're playing to have that much time off from the game and then be expected to immediately come out and produce but also the ramifications of knowing that it was your own actions that put you in this boat and that can be a dark well to fall down and that's been covered immensely by all publications in the Florida area, but particularly Justin's piece as well this past April on Jaguars.com to give us that perspective of what, in this case, a star caliber player, in the Colts case, a player that, again, later round pick, but was in a contract year and hoping to find a role on this team, that it's going to be a long road for him, regardless of the length of games he ends up getting. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a long road. I talked about it on our podcast for The Athletic yesterday with Bob Kravitz. You can go check that out, Colts fans who are harassing me and asking me why I was doing this and not doing that. So I guess I'll do both. But I'll say this. I want to know, and I was thinking about this just randomly. I'm like, wow, I haven't heard much discussion about this. But Jimmy, why do you think, maybe Eddie can chime in as well, but why do you think it's an NFL issue? Like other leagues, I haven't heard or really seen this much commotion around gambling violations now I have to look into I'll admit I don't know what the NBA rules are how they differ from the NFL I would assume NBA players can't bet on NBA games same thing with MLB and things like that MLS but I just wonder why it is an NFL issue and why it continues to pop up in this league in particular so with I know with the NBA NBA the the players are allowed to bet just like the NFL they just can't bet on the NBA but they have to go through a mandatory gambling awareness program like they have to do a test and everything that pretty much you know validates that they know what they can and cannot do interesting for me look I don't wear the tinfoil hat and you're not wearing it here either I'm not saying there's not a chance that it could be happening in other sports. Oh, I think it is. Like, <laughs> like I'm again, I'm not I'm not naive. Like yeah. if it's happening in one sport, it's fair to say yeah. I'm not even jumping to conclusions to say that a star player would be doing it, right. but it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that somebody off the bench could yeah. be placing wagers on games. I think why it's there's two reasons. One is that if there's one thing that and James, you know this better than anybody because of the move from one beat to another in terms of the NBA to the NFL. Basketball is my favorite sport. I love the NBA. But I know, and most sports fans know, at least in this country, the NFL is always going to be king. The NFL is always going to generate the most buzz. So even though it could be happening in the other sports, the reason it's grabbing most of the headlines is because the NFL, A, wants to be on the forefront of all of this, be the league that is not tolerating any 
tomfoolery on the betting end whatsoever. But on top of that, they also have reporters like yourself that are like NBA reporters doing a fine job on covering this issue. But for whatever reason, because it's the biggest sport in the country and because that's what people are most locked into, it's the one that garners the most headlines. Again, if you do any type of research on this, there's not any rules in place, like you mentioned, within the NBA where you can't bet on other sports, but it's an accepted practice and within the gambling policy that Eddie lined out there where, again, what we assumed was just an afterthought. Oh, if you're in that league, you can't bet on that league. Makes sense to me. But it is an interesting perspective of why all that waves are jumping towards the NFL and no other league. Do you think it's anything other than perhaps just the NFL is the one shining the biggest light on it? Or do you think I mean, it is prevalent in the other leagues at a high level? It probably is. Like you said, there probably is some going on in every league. Maybe it is because the NFL just has more players. So there's more probability of that happening. You know what I mean? Like there's 55 guys or 53 guys on every roster on um, game days. And in the NBA, the game day roster during the regular season can be 17 guys. So it's just not as many players. And, and, and the ability to gamble, obviously, among those players increases with the amount of players. So that's something to it. But I would honestly have to admit, I don't know. And I have to get to the bottom of it, I guess, as a reporter and do my research and um, report because I'm very curious as to why it seems like this is an outlier thing only for the NFL. Like the NFL is the outlier when it comes to major sports leagues in America. So um, we'll see. I'm very curious to see um, not only how the NFL reacts to this, because I do think they have to take it more serious. And like Eddie talked about with the NBA, with this testing, like, should there be something where you have to get a certificate or something to say you understand what's going on? Or do you have to take a course, you know, before every season? I don't know. I mean, I don't I know how serious you take it because, we, you know, we've all been in college and you have those exams. And it's like, ah, you know, you get three tries, get the most obvious answer right. And it's like, OK, I passed, got this. Like, I don't know if it'd be that simple, but should there be something sort of like a class where you, you're forced to do it? And maybe that gets your t- But I'm, I don't know. It feels like it, it's for the guys who are following the rules, it's like, do you make them, you punish them by giving them more? Like, I don't, I don't know. But wouldn't you think that these visits to teams throughout the offseason by the section of the league office that is in charge of enforcing gambling rules and making sure that gambling awareness are in these NFL locker rooms like the Colts just had this past week, wouldn't you think that's what that's supposed to serve as? Like, oh, you're supposed to be locked in and, hey, this is what we're here for. We're not just taking time out of our day to talk to nobody or talk to the air. We're talking to you as the players to let you know this is where the gambling policy is. This is what you need to know about what you can and can't do. Like, that's one of those things where if you're at a, a work seminar of some kind, I don't know, because let's say someone is is stealing from the from the office fridge. And so you have to have a meeting about, hey, we can't steal things from the fridge. OK, well, everybody can sign that piece of paper that's saying, yeah, we attended the meeting. Right. And we understand we cannot steal things, but that only goes so far. Right. You're signing a piece of paper. It's still up to you at the end of the day to not commit actions that would compromise you as a worker or in this case compromise you as a player i agree like i think that's already happening minus the pretty certificate that we're joking about they can frame and put in their i mean i'm just like throwing darts at the board you know i just because to me and it's like this with i guess a lot of things like isn't this common sense wouldn't you that's what i thought understand what's at stake and again i go back to what the players themselves have been saying at least the few we talked to this week and you know you got ej speed saying it's not worth it 
you know, my career is not worth this. You have Colin Grant and like, yeah, they're making examples out of people. We'll talk to Justin Lewis here in a bit. Same thing in his story. Like, they made an example out of Calvin Ridley, who, again, and I'm, I'm very excited to talk to Justin about this, he was talented enough to get a second shot. Talent always wins out in sports. I don't care what you do. Well, I do care what you do. But I'll say this, the league does not care what you do. And we know how the NFL is. You can do a lot of egregious, bad things. But if you're talented, you will get a second shot, a third shot, a fourth shot, for crying out loud, if you can go out there and perform. And so the reason why every case is different is because every player is different. And so Isaiah Rogers was not at this point of his career like Calvin Ridley was where he had established himself as a really good football player. Isaiah could be, but now he might not have that chance if he's found, you know, that he did these things last season as far as betting on games and stuff like that. Now, again, nothing's been decided yet. The NFL hasn't, you know, had a ruling. But when that ruling comes out and if he is found guilty of doing these things, then I I find it hard to think that maybe he'll get the same opportunities as a Calvin Ridley because of how his career has gone. Like he's going into year four. He's not proven anything at the NFL, quite frankly. Like he showed promise, but promise is a backhanded compliment. It means you have talent. We just haven't seen it consistently enough. And on that front as well, a 28-year-old vertical threat speedster, (laughs) more valuable for the most part, at least to contenders, than corners, depending on the amount yes. of money that's being spent. Yes. Obviously, depending on how Isaiah Rodgers had done this season, we could project out what his market value would have been, but it wouldn't have been top half of the league in terms of corner money, barring a true career year. And now that's completely off the table because, again, he's going to be suspended in some way, shape, or form. It all matters now on what type of games he was betting on. And it's been indicated it was NFL games, so now you're looking at at least a year. And if it's against the Colts, then it's probably a lifetime ban and we're not having this conversation anymore. But if it is a year, it's the same thing that Calvin Ridley got. It's another player, albeit not the same rising star status that Calvin Ridley was, where, okay, a message has been once again sent around the league of we're not tolerating this. I thought for certain, and I said this earlier in the week, when I see the hammer laid down, regardless of what it is, like in my walk of life, again, I already used the the, the, the thievery from the fridge comparison, but yeah, like if, if someone got a massive suspension within the workplace, that to me would be a major warning sign of, oh, wow, I definitely can't do that because that's what's going to happen to me. Yeah. And the poster child they thought Calvin Ridley was going to be has not happened. And we are a star player, a real star player away from the NFL having to really reevaluate what their process is with all this on a team by team basis because Ridley is the biggest name to this point. Yes. That has received the biggest suspension. If we get a Derrick Henry, a Stefan Diggs, a Travis Kelsey, like just any like superstar player like that, if that was a to happen, quarterback, oh, like, you're right? I did avoid quarterbacks there. Josh Allen, Patrick I Mahomes. Mean, I'm just saying, like, yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow's also bringing it to the again, to, to the sports books too. Who knows? Which is why, and I don't mean this as a personal uh, shot at Isaiah. I just mean this from an objective point of view. I hope is what I'm portraying. The league might look at this and say 
okay, again, all of this is, all of this is alleged, but if we investigate this and find out that you actually did this, we can make an example out of you that sends a message without hurting our product. You know what I mean? Sure. Like if a superstar were to get caught up in this and get penalized, get, you know, suspended for a long time or banned from the league, that would affect the on-field product. If a, you know, a fringe starting cornerback, you know, backup corner isn't around, it's not the same effect on the product. Right. And again, I hate to talk about it like that because I have a lot of respect for all of these guys in the locker room, talking to them about their journeys, all of those things. However, they know, I know, you know, everyone knows the NFL is in the business of making money. And the only thing, like I said the other day, that's more important than the money is the integrity of the game. That's what drives the money. Like you cannot have these instances where people can point to certain things and be like, oh, was he trying to do that or was he trying to win or was he trying to lose like you don't need that and so this is going to become uh i think worse become before it becomes better and um we'll just have to monitor it and see how it goes i don't know when a potential ruling could be could come down i guess i have to just keep my phone on and make sure i don't get logged out of twitter anymore and um see it from there who has the most to gain in the cornerback room assuming Isaiah Rogers is what we are assuming and what the league is outlined with previous suspensions likely done for the year. I think it's Darius Rush. I think that Julius Brents was probably going to be a starter anyway because he was a second-round pick, and they needed corners, and I expected it to be potentially a mix of, you know, Kenny Moore as the starting slot, you know, Dallas Flowers slash Isaiah Rogers maybe, and then, you know, uh, Julius Brents. So I do think that without Isaiah Rodgers in the mix, the next guy in line will be Darius Rush and Dallas Flowers competing for that third starting spot. But again, I guess what makes it unique for the Colts is obviously they're really young, but the young guys haven't done anything the last few weeks. Julius Brent has been out you know, with the wrist surgery he's recovering from. He had like a little sleeve on his uh, hand actually at Buckner's camp last week. Seems to be progressing well and, you know, doesn't seem too concerned about it. Darius Rush has had a hamstring the last two weeks. He's been out. And so they're not getting the reps that they need right now to get acclimated. And then, obviously, if they're still out by, like, training camp, you start to get a little worried. So as long as they're healthy by then, you'll be fine. But they're rookies. And so you want to be able to get them reps right away. But I do think that it's going to be Darius Rush and Dallas Flowers potentially competing for that third starting spot, along with Daryl Baker as well, who's a second-year cornerback who was in there um, this past week at OTAs as a third starter. So we'll see, but Darius Rush seems to be the, the name that I just gravitate toward because of his ability. And also Dallas Flowers because he showed a lot of promise last year, even though he went undrafted. He made a couple plays, and last year he looked pretty good in certain situations. And, you know, he's an athletic corner, long corner, and so we'll see. If you're Kenny Moore, does this change anything for you? Because we've paired him and Rodgers together prior to this, obviously, betting scandal. Moore's not involved with that. But both being in contract years, both being at a position of need for this team, which was obvious going into the draft. That's why they addressed it with so many picks and attacked it the way that they did. Does it change anything for, for Kenny Moore's outlook or particularly for Kenny Moore's role when we always talk about, well, maybe there's not enough veterans in that room? I mean, that squarely goes on Kenny Moore at this point. 
in terms of just focusing solely on cornerbacks. Yeah, I do think it changes his role in the locker room. Maybe not so much on the field because he was going to be the slot starter sure. most likely anyway. And we're still waiting to see how that's all going to work because, again, he did not have a great season last year in Gus Bradley's defense. A second year with him, maybe that helps. But when I spoke to Kenny Moore at uh, an event he held for the Indianapolis youth, he was giving some mattresses and you know beds away at the Indianapolis uh, Children's Museum. And he said, we're going to lead together, basically. And the cornerback room is going to be arm in arm. This guy's going to help this guy. I'm going to show them. They're going to show me. That all sounds good. But now you got less guys that can show them. And so I think that puts more pressure on his shoulders to be a leader. And I don't know if Kenny Moore is – not saying he's not a leader. I think he is a leader in that, in that room. But I don't know what type of leader he is. I'll have to ask him what his style is because when I asked him previously, it seemed like it was more of a passive way. Like I'm going to just lead by example, you know, not over – you know, uh, over lead, not be all in the guy's faces, all that type of thing. But maybe he has to take on more of that style – to get his point across and help elevate the room. For Gus Bradley, last thing before we get ready to have our conversation with Justin Lewis to get the Jaguars angle on all of this. We'll also get a brief update on how their OTAs has gone if they are the front runner, at least on paper, going in to this season within the South. But what do you think if you're Gus Bradley with all this? You already knew that you were going to have decisions that you were going to be sitting on and involved in next offseason at corner. And now the audition process or decision-making aspect, it changes a little bit for the better in that you have less mouths to worry about. But now you're looking at if you don't go get a veteran, as you mentioned, throwing rookies out there to see what they have right away. Yeah, that's a tough situation to be in. I think you're asking what Gus Bradley asked you. I think the bigger question was, what does Chris Ballard do? <laughs> you know, Do you go out and get a veteran? Or do you just roll the dice on these young guys? And like you mentioned yesterday, just take your lumps because it's not going to be most likely a winning season anyways. And so um, I think Gus is okay in the sense that he knew that position group was probably going to be a little weaker just because of the experience and things like that. But, I mean, you're asking a lot of him and of that group in particular because it was already thin and now it's thinner because of a situation that has nothing to do with you know, injury or something like that. It's because, you know, one of your players allegedly made some poor decisions last season, repeated poor decisions that have obviously trickled over into, into this season. And in my opinion, you know, Shane Steichen was asked point blank, is this a distraction? He's like, ah, anytime this happens, we got to rally together. It is a distraction. Like it does take something away from the team that you were going to be um, using your energy and time to focus on elsewhere. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here with us as well. Got a great show for you to close the week. Justin Lewis, Jacksonville.com, beat writer for the Jaguars, going to take us through Calvin Ridley's return from his gambling suspension, where expectations are for him and his perspective, all this with the Isaiah Rogers situation here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen will give his perspective on that, as well as his latest from Colts OTAs. Katie Wingy going to join us, who covers the Denver Nuggets as a reporter, analyst, and host for Altitude TV as Game 4 of the NBA Finals is set to take place here later this evening. You can hear that, of course, 7.30 right here on The Fan. When we come back, conversation with Justin Lewis. Where are the Jaguars at, and what's Calvin Ridley's return been like? What did he learn from the gambling suspension that Isaiah Rodgers is likely facing? We'll get into that on the Fan Midday Show. Welcome back to the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook. You're listening to 107.5 The Fan Midday Show. 
having some great vibes, some great music there from Eddie. Podcast listeners, I'm sorry. You'll hear our voices, but not our singing. You know, during the break, but probably um, for the best. <laughs> probably at least for me. I don't want to speak for you. <laughs> I mean, I got some pipes, man. Right, I, I can sing. All I can right. sing badly. I guess that's why I didn't want to speak for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I obviously we'll keep this conversation going when it comes to the gambling allegations for Isaiah Rogers, what it means, and who better to talk to about that than Justin Lewis, who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Florida Times Union. And Justin, to start off, man, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you again for reaching out. Like I said before, um, I'm doing good, man. Well, look, I appreciate you taking the time. And I figured no better person to ask about the situation than you because you're covering someone who's come out on the other side of a gambling investigation, a gambling penalty. And so what did you see from Calvin Ridley as far as what he learned? I read your story. I thought it was really good. You all listening can check that out, you know, at, you know, Jacksonville.com. But what did you think of the way he's kind of bounced back from it? Yeah, so the first thing is when the Jaguars acquired Ridley, they had no clue when he would be back. So with these type of suspensions, it was an indefinite suspension. So they, they had him on the team uh, as a piece, but they couldn't. he couldn't be around the team. They couldn't talk to each other. They couldn't really communicate. So it really affects that part, that aspect. And – the first thing he said was it was the worst mistake of his life. He did a Players Tribune article back in March mm-hmm. and said he paid the price. So for all of these guys to, you know, still be getting roped up in this, I'm sure he's not happy about that. But as far as him, he, he said that he feels refreshed. He said that he feels like he's, you know, as healthy as he's been because he wasn't playing for a year. Um and he, he just seems like he's enjoying himself being around a team again because when you're when you're suspended from the league for gambling, you can't communicate at all. You can't be in the locker room. You can't, you know, talk to guys. It's just you're pretty much isolated. So yeah, it, it's it's a it's a really different world when you when you have that penalty happen. I think you said something interesting that maybe we haven't discussed enough is that usually when these violations happen, the suspension is indefinite and it's not a guarantee that you're just going to miss a year and come back. So maybe you can explain a little bit. What is the process of reinstatement? Is it just literally asking the league, um, can I come back or or what do they have to do to prove that they're worthy of being in the NFL? I know it's a case by case basis, but just based upon your, uh, you know, coverage. Right. With Calvin, it was a situation where, once the league year ended, there was a period where we thought he might get in, reinstated, but we didn't have a definite date. So I, I heard you before the break. You said you just have to keep your phone on uh, and keep checking <laughs> Twitter. That's pretty much how it goes. You just have to keep waiting for the league to say, okay, you are able to be reinstated. You're able to start back communicating with the team and, and start participating in team activities. So that was just a really – you know, kind of hurry up and wait time because the Super Bowl happened, the the league year ended, and then it was, I think he got reinstated in March, like March 5th or something around that time. And it, it was just a period of, we have no clue when this is going to happen, but when it happens, you know, he, you can fully be a participant of the team again. Justin, I know the suspension was laid down while he was in Atlanta, but when you look at 
the Jaguars acquiring him and the comments that he's made since then, it, it appears like you would expect anybody that has made a mistake. He's remorseful. He understands that he, he got caught up in something he shouldn't have been. He's moved past it, and he's ready to get out there and play for the Jaguars. But in real time to you, did you have the same reaction that myself and James did when the suspension was laid out, which is, okay, the NFL is laying hammers down on this particular issue for the sake of integrity of the game, this is going to be a poster child for other players, and this will hopefully push back and stem away players that want to bet on games. The exact opposite has happened over the last 12 months. Are you surprised by that? 100%. I I felt like the suspension, the... Like, Calvin Ridley, he's he's not, you know, one of the most known guys in the league, but he's he's a known guy. You know, he's a pretty well-versed guy in Atlanta. Um, And for him to get a suspension like that where it's like, okay, you're indefinitely suspended. So that could have been one year. That could have been two years. That could have been, you know, however long. And for guys to still, again, be getting roped up in this and and to still be making these mistakes, I, I think it's kind of surprising to me because, like, if you see what that guy went through, like, for a lot of these athletes, Football is all they have. Football is all they know. And for that to be taken away from them, it, I know for Ridley, he said it put him in a depressive place where he wouldn't leave his home. He left Atlanta, came back to Florida to live. He wouldn't want to, you know, see his family. He wouldn't. He would just, you know, basically be in the house because he's not able to do the one thing that he truly loves. And I think, you know, the NFL tried to make an example, but – they might have to do a little bit more. I don't know. It's sad to say, but guys are still having this issue. So, yeah, yeah I do. 100%. I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked, obviously, when the news broke on our end about Isaiah Rogers Sr., again, all alleged until we get the ruling and things like that. But to pivot away from the gambling aspect of it and focus solely on the player, Calvin Ridley, obviously – he adds something to the Jaguars. I've read your coverage. It seems that there's some excitement down there in Duval County, which may not be what Colts fans want to hear listening right now. But what does he do to help continue the ascension of Trevor Lawrence, who we saw last year take a step forward? I really think it's his versatility. Um, he's such a good route runner. You can play him at different places on the field, whether that's inside, outside. And with a coach like Doug Peterson, I think that's going to be one of the things that the Jacks try to emphasize. Like, you're not going to be able to box him in. You you won't really know where he's going to line up a majority of the time. And then it's his athleticism. OTAs, you know, it's we get to see three of the ten or however many. But in those small sample sizes, you can already see just how much of a freak he is athletically and how gifted he is athletically. Um, he's made a few catches that have just been like jaw droppers. He, he's he's really just, I think, like I said, the versatility of him is, is going to be the biggest thing for the Jags. And then he, he adds another sure-handed target for Trevor, who, like you said, he Trevor took that first step. Now it's just about his ascension and seeing how much he can really rise in this league with uh, you know a lot of the other quarterbacks, uh, a lot of them being in the AFC and just seeing where he may land by season's end. So given where the rest of the division is, here in Indy, they drafted Anthony Richardson. 
You know, with the Texans, they drafted C.J. Stroud. The Titans drafted Will Levis. The only team that really has a clear, you know, quarterback situation that isn't, you know, kind of uh, up in the air is Jacksonville. And do they think, you know, because the sense around here is that it's their division, you know, at least that's my sense. I won't speak for anybody else. But do they have that feeling down there where that team believes it's our division, we should run this, and we should be hosting a home playoff game, you know, after these 17 games are up? I, I will say there is a sense, but they're, they're not – entitled like they're still working hard they're Mm. still one thing that Doug said recently is you know last year is last year and you can't he can't as a coach let that be the only you know good thing that comes out of his tenure like it happened Mm. now they're just trying to build on it and I think it kind of shows in OTAs which again it's it's very small viewing portions but they've had about 90 percent I think They've had 88 of their 90 players on most uh, media OTA OTA availability availability excuse me, and it's it's honestly just a team that you wouldn't think made it to the divisional round and was a, a touchdown away from making it a game against Kansas City. Like you wouldn't think that about this team. This team, I feel like they're still hungry, and I feel like they're still young enough to kind of have that mentality where it's like them against everyone else. So, Justin, I want to talk about Josh Allen for a second. If you're not you, but if the listeners are unaware, outside linebacker, Josh Allen, not the quarterback, Josh <laughs> Allen. He's entering the fifth-year option on his deal with the Jaguars as a rookie. And in researching for our conversation today, there's a number of different angles from those on the beat of whether or not this is a non-story or whether it's something that should be monitored closely and keep an eye on. I know Doug Peterson said earlier in the week that he expects him to be at the mandatory minicamp next week, but perhaps he would waive the mandatory veteran status for those camps like he did last year. What have been your overall takeaways on Josh Allen to this point? And is this just a June non-story it's eventually going to work itself out or is there some serious contention there with Josh Allen knowing this is a contract year for him yeah I think it's really a non-story um the thing about Josh that a lot of people don't get to see he's one of the hardest workers on that team um I remember for training camp last year he was in the building at 5 a.m I don't think players had to report until 10 he's a guy that is always there early. He's always working after practice. There will be days during the season where I specifically need him for a story or I'm looking to talk to him and I'm waiting in the locker room, you know, 30 minutes after practice ends because he's still talking to his coaches on the field, still working to try to get better. And I, I honestly think it's just one of those things where people are looking for that one thing that could, could potentially be a story or they're looking for that one bit of content. So for some people, it may be a story, but to me, it's it's not a story. Um, he's been a captain, I think, for the last two years, maybe three years. And he, he's honestly, have, he has the respect of the locker room. And I think he's just a guy, you know, that that's the best way to describe him. He, he's a guy that comes to work and he works hard and, Doug did waive the uh, mandatory minicamp for veterans next week, but Josh still might be there. There, There's a chance that he'll be in the building working because he was one of those players that didn't come to OTAs, but 
the talk has been that he um, has been working out individually on his own. So I, I, I think it's a non-story personally, but, you know, it, it's June. What what else are we talking about <laughs> in Duval? So it is June, but I'm going to fast forward the calendar to when the Colts travel to Duval County. Do they get a win <laughs> to end their drought there this upcoming season? You know, it's tough to say. I, I, so I was not aware of the string of losses until I think two years ago. And don't that say that; the, it makes us feel worse. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, but that was the Urban Meyer team, and that was the, you know, it, it was just a lot going on. The fans were in the in the stands with clown attire on, and then that team went out and played their hearts out. And then last year, you know, Matt Ryan throws the early interception and he just, I don't know, that that team again plays their hearts out. So it's hard to say. I don't want to say no just, you know, because I cover the Jags. I, I, I'm curious to, to see if Anthony Richardson is starting by then because I think that's the, what is it, like week, week six. five or week six, week yeah. six game. So I'm curious to see if Anthony Richardson is starting by then and I'm curious to see – if he's not, if Gardner Minshew comes out with a little extra oomph because that's, you know, where he got his start. So it, it's just a lot of factors. It, it's so far away. Um, there's a chance. Anything is possible. That's what KG said. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Oh, man, he gave us a nice political answer. But, look, man, we really appreciate <laughs> your time. And I'll make sure to chop it up with you when I get down to Duval County when you head up here as well. I'll see you for the season opener, Justin. And, again, you can check out his work at Jacksonville.com, man. You take it easy. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right, that was Justin Lewis. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin Lewis. It is J-U-S-T-O-N, Lewis underscore. And he actually has a header here, uh, Jimmy, which that says, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit, which is a message, an ode to Colts fans about Anthony Richardson. It's not going to be happening tomorrow, my friends, but it could happen in the future. So I'll leave that you know, leave that simmering your spirit to marinate a little bit. Yeah, but you can choose when you decide to start to water the seed, right? And oh, for me, you do that week one. That's what oh, I'm saying. I like a metaphorical Thank you. Jimmy. That do was, what I can. That was a bar right there. That was, that was nice. I do agree. <laughs> I do agree. <laughs> I mean, he was saying, you know, Anthony Richardson starting by week six, and we're all looking like, wait, week, week six? I Like I've been saying, I would not be surprised if it is week one, but I would, if it's not week one, I don't think it's no later than week four. And again, unless we talked, like we've been just hammering this, he would just literally not have to understand concepts or things like that for me to be, for me to think like, and I I think that he's actually a smart guy. I know at the OTAs, it's been a little rough the last few times we've been out there as far as timing and certain throws and things like that. However, it, it wasn't to the point where you're like, oh my gosh, this guy is just clueless. He has no idea what he's doing. That's the only way I could see him not, you know, having a chance to start at the beginning of the season or at least early on in the season. As I've thought about it, there's maybe one more area where perhaps I could be okay with them hitting the brakes on if Anthony Richardson is the week one starter or not. We'll get into that when we come back here on the Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. I'm Jimmy Cook with James Boyd, DriveHuber.com Studios on the Fan Midday Show. We mentioned with Anthony Richardson before we went to break last segment that the point we've hammered home is unless he is struggling with 
Shane Steichen's playbook the way that I would struggle and the way I did struggle in high school trying to master a second <laughs> language, uh, unless he's in that type of realm of confusion, why else would he not be the starter week one? And the only other reason that I can think of the more we have thought about this, and we've stressed a ton how much pressure is going to be on not only the Colts offensive line, but Tony Sperano Jr. to be able to have a bounce back year in the trenches, is if in these reps and OTAs, within training camp and through this process in the lead up to week one, if there's something clear that he's doing either on film or that you see in real time as a member of that coaching staff that you think is a starter for bad habits, that you think is something that if thrown out to the Wolves week one and getting the starting range right out of the gate with that particular unknown bad habit hypothetical I'm throwing out here that would potentially plague his development, i.e., like we've talked about, maybe bailing on clean pockets or a lack of trust right. there in the trenches. That wouldn't be not understanding Shane Steichen's offense. That would be a lack of cohesion between you and your offensive line. And again, we know that he has far better, far better athleticism than almost any quarterback that the Colts have trotted out there over the last five years. But that being said, you still don't want him to have to bail early. You want him to run instinctually while still having a trust aspect up front with his offensive line. Yeah, that's just one example. Anything like that, that would be a bad habit starter. Exactly. That's my only big red flag. And again, we don't know. And that's the hard part about even reporting on the OTAs we see. It's like we don't know enough just yet. So even though you're working with your eyes and you're using what you've seen, it's one day, kind of like Justin Lewis alluded to, down there in Jacksonville, they got three out of the ten days. We've only gotten one day a week for OTAs up here as well. We'll get three days next week with veteran minicamp. But again, it's just you're working with a limited information source. So although you want to be able to put your foot down and say this is what's happening, this is what's going on, you don't know. And so I think we'll see a lot more when we move on into the offseason and get to like some of those joint practices and things like that where you can start to see tendencies and things or – live reps against opponents who you're getting they don't know what you're doing you don't know what they're doing and it's not as controlled because right now everything's controlled right and so I would think that you would benefit more so in a controlled environment versus you know going up against teams who just don't care if you develop at all like I mean not to be rude but Philly doesn't care if you get better the Bears don't care if you get better like they're there to get better themselves and so I think that'll be probably the most important part of the offseason as to where Anthony Richardson is in his development. I look at this team and I look at the other teams that either took rookie quarterbacks or have decisions to make what they're going to do with second year QBs. Let's focus for the sake of time on just the rookies. I look at Houston. I look at Carolina. And I see teams that are in similar, if not identical boats toward the Colts are, which is in all likelihood not achieving this things this year Though you're in a division that's bad enough to where, who knows, maybe you could turn in a division win, capture a title, and make it to the playoffs with a home game. That's easier in Carolina's boat because of just how bad the NFC South is. With the Colts, you actually have at least a team that appears to be poised to win the division in Jacksonville. There's a clear front runner you can point to, but all that being said, all those three teams have one thing in common, which is they have rookie quarterbacks and you look at what's behind them. Minshew's probably the best of all of them, but if you put Minshew on any other team, 
on Houston or on Carolina, and you look at Stroud and you look at Young, my opinion doesn't change on what needs to be done, which is that you throw the rookie out there and see what he's got. Like that, that regardless of what Minshew brings to the table as being the best of the backups that are at these other destinations with rookie QBs, I have that same mentality of you're not playing to win this year, you're playing to grow this year, and if you happen to win along the way, you're thrilled with it. Yeah, and I will add this, being around the team the last few days, at least the last few weeks, particularly this last practice, Gardner was making sure to hype up Anthony Richardson. They were high-fiving. The camaraderie is there. I'm not sure if you see that in every quarterback competition. No. you know, I'm not saying that you don't support your guy, but I do think that it's maybe not as flamboyant as that was. Only one I mean, top dog can eat. Exactly. The mentality. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that, again, that speaks to Gardner's level of self-awareness and team awareness. Like, he knows he was not brought in to be the face of the franchise. However, he also knows, you know, for my own career, I have to go out there and play well and do my best as far as my, my preparation, what I do. You're not just going to throw the keys away. Right. Exactly. And then also, if I'm going to show a team that I'm a worthy backup, which I think is probably what his career is going to look like going forward. I know he had a chance to start early on in his career due to injuries and things like that, but I would say he's a lower-level starter, probably more likely a career backup type of quarterback. So I think that if he can show that he's willing to mentor and do the right things as far as as a human being – and helping Anthony Richardson, it'll help his career as well. So there doesn't seem to be any animosity there. They were high-fiving like like kids on the playground. And so you expect that to continue. And then just real quick, there was one moment where they all ripped, you know, through this drill, him, Anthony Richardson, and Sam Ellinger. And then at the end, when Anthony Richardson completed the drill and put it in the net, you know, Gardner Mitchell, the first guy raising his hands over his head like Rocky. So there's a lot of love and respect between those two. We'll go further into Minshew's path and – what he could achieve here a little bit later within the show. We'll get to that probably at the bottom of next hour, but we'll go further with the Colts. OTA is ongoing. Get the inside scoop. We've gotten a lot of it from James. We'll put two beat writers together when the fan zone Kevin Bowen joins us next segment here on the Fan Midday Show. Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd with Eddie Garrison. Kevin Bowen going to join us here in just a second, but this from Tom Pelissero. About two minutes ago, now official, no last-minute trade materialized for the Vikings. They're releasing four-time Pro Bowler running back Dalvin Cook. Be free to sign with any team later today. So keep an eye on that. And then that goes back to our conversation yesterday. Eddie had a nice article on this on 175thefan.com regarding that conversation and the situation. <laughs> Touch that you promoted Jonathan it. Taylor's, oh Jonathan touch. Taylor's contract. That, that's the Never sh- plug guy. him again. The kind of guy I am. You know, I just look out for I'm my just team. so touched, Jimmy. I, I appreciate you. you, you know, I appreciate you too, Eddie. Glad I, glad I could help I you out. Great, great, great work serious. on your part. <laughs> Speaking of another writer for 107.5thefan.com who has can't miss content with his Colts OTA notebook. Week three just wrapped up. See, I, I do it for everybody, but it's got to be quality. If it's not quality, you're not getting that kind of plug. Kevin Bowen is quality. KB, how are you on a Friday? Jay Cook, I appreciate that. That's that's very nice of you. <laughs> no problem. Glad, glad helping out. That was always slightly less weird than, than Eddie's very, very soothing thank you that I got. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's dive right into the pool. I know you've had a, a week of shows to discuss it. And wrote about it as well on 107.5thefan.com. But in terms of, Kev, since you've been on this beat, where does this Isaiah Rogers story rank in terms of just 
weirdness and becoming quickly a new normal or a reality of what can happen and what can get you in trouble in the National Football League? It's a good question. Um, you know, maybe the weirdness would be like picturing a story like this three, five, seven years ago. Like the level of weird was probably a little higher. But picturing the weirdness like just three weeks ago or three months ago, not at all. I mean, to your point, this is it's a new norm. I, I have a feeling there is an Isaiah Rogers on every NFL football team. And I, I could be overshooting that. I could be undershooting it. But I, I would venture to guess there's some version of it in every locker room. Obviously, some teams uh, have had bigger. Some teams have uh, been similar as the Colts with just one player. So not just totally stunned in the present day and age of 2023 and knowing that you know, some guys, you continue to think that, that, you know, they are bulletproof no matter how great of an opportunity they could be facing. And uh, I'll continue to talk in the present tense of Isaiah Rogers for now, but he is facing a golden opportunity to, you know, set himself up for generational wealth and, you know, potentially be a, a key cult for the next three years. And now as all, uh, all of it is very much in question with what he's done. KB, first I want to say you're the fastest typer i've ever seen in my life he, he always like files his notes and everything's up on twitter like literally within like an hour and i'm like this guy is a machine like he's unbelievable but anyway when we talk about isaiah rogers senior in the situation that he finds himself in how much of a distraction do you think it is for the team particularly because they're going through such a change at quarterback at coach yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I don't think as much as just kind of the headline screams or how much attention that you have to give to the story. I, mean, I thought EJ Speed and Zaire Franklin and Kyle and the various guys that that spoke today, I mean, or spoke this week, I, I thought they were pretty candid and pretty honest with the remarks. And I think there was a level of this is June. I mean, certainly once you get to training camp, this is way on the back burner in terms of a storyline, at least I assume it will be. And once you get to the start of the season, you almost forget about Isaiah Rogers. As, as bad as that sounds, I, I think there's an element of this is just kind of life in the NFL. Like, guys get hurt, guys get suspended, and, you know, depending on the level of name of the player, you just kind of move on with it. I do think where it is, again, maybe not a distraction, but it is certainly notable. I mean, can you imagine if you are Darius Rush – or Dallas Flowers, or Tony Brown. I mean, you have gone from, yeah, I don't really know what the role is going to look like for me this year, or, you know, we'll see how the depth chart plays out. And now at that position of a extremely young and youthful position, it returns virtually no one, uh, not named Kenny Moore, from last season. So I think that is probably where it's felt. It's like, wow, that, that depth chart – Isaiah Rogers at wideout, Isaiah Rogers at tight end, like that equivalent of him, probably doesn't draw as much attention. But him at corner, where you're already really young and there's already been tons of turnover from last season, that's where it probably draws even more headlines. KB, do they stay young at cornerback, or do you think they should go out and try to find a veteran at this stage of free agency? Yeah, I think they should stay young. Um, I know you're really, really young, and that's a position that you can get exposed pretty quickly. But, again, I, I'm, I'm kind of content with that mindset being the big-picture view of this season, particularly on defense. You know, I, I've said this on the morning show now for the last couple of weeks. You know, in some way right now, you'd probably question the depth chart at corner. 
you'd probably question it a little bit at safety. And on the offensive line, I'd say just in general, you'd question the depth and what you're doing at right guard. Outside of right guard and the depth on the O-line, though, I, I'm content with the youth movement at the other spots, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I could see, I mean, Ballard has been a guy that even though it might look glaring on a depth chart, he's been a guy that's kind of been like, oh, yeah, um, let's play the youth. And, and it almost seems like he's kind of there at corner of, hey, we've drafted three guys this year. You know, we, we do feel highly on Dallas Flowers. Let's just kind of roll with that. Now, again, expect some growing pains, certainly. Uh, there are names out there. Um, I'll be interested to see how they react to it. But I, I could see them just continuing to stick with the youth. And, again, considering what this season, in my opinion, is all about, I'm good with it. Kevin Bowen with us on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. KB, just a couple segments ago we were discussing Gardner Minshew and looking around at the other high-level rookie QBs and what their depth charts look like. I know there's a debate that we're having here, and there's always never an in question when a rookie QB is selected is, oh, when are you starting him? Is he going to start right away? Do you sit him for a year? How long do you wait to push that button? When I look at Houston... And I look at Carolina, and Frank Reich's already said earlier this week that he's taken that next step as Bryce Young to him inevitably being the week one starter. But when I look at those teams, even though Minshew's better than any of the backups on those teams, I'm not starting Minshew over Stroud or Young in this scenario because I want to see what they have, and I think they're ready. I feel that same way about Anthony Richardson as I think you do, but... What is it that is is holding that aspect back? I know that's hard to partially answer since it's not training camp yet. We're still in OTAs. But is it the reps? Is it the age? Why is it that we have a different viewpoint with Minshew here? But if you put him on any of those other rosters, if I was running them, I'd likely start Stroud or I'd like Young without even thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, probably is just how lack, and I hope I'm answering in the way that you want. It probably is just the general lack of playing time he enters the league with. I mean, D.J. Stroud, multi-year starter. Bryce Young, multi-year starter. I mean, hell, Will Levis is a multi-year starter. Sure. And Richardson was, was not bad. And it's just how how limited uh, that, uh, that playing time was. I mean, it, it's astonishing. I don't know if people fully grasp the astonishment at the lack of experience he walked into the NFL with and the lack of completion percentage he walked into the NFL with. Um I thought I looked it up the other day. I went back just the last three years in college football because I think the college game has changed so much and passing offenses have changed a whole lot, even in the last five to ten years. And I believe of the quarterbacks that had thrown, I think Richardson threw at least 300 passes this year. Of the QBs that had thrown at least 300 passes over the last three years, his completion percentage, I want to say, is like 177th out of 177 quarterbacks. I mean, it's, it's dead last out of these these last three years of guys that continue to start for as long as he did in that single season. Both guys obviously would be benched at some point during their careers. And, of course, Richardson brings other impact to the game um, from a running element. That probably was a big reason why he stayed in the lineup. So I, I just think it, it, it's such a rare, rare um, profile of a guy that now is entering the NFL and not only entering it but being the fourth overall pick and, seemingly could be starting and you know he's young you know just turned 21 a couple weeks ago so i i would say the the reason for it right now again is just because of how limited he was but 
I mean, if I was Houston, if I was Carolina, if I was Indy, and this is just my general belief, I know that you can point to examples, and the guy in Kansas City is certainly one of them, of guys that have sat and have played great. But I, I don't look at this season like, okay, boy, if you start Richardson, man, that might be 5-12. and 12. Start Minshew, you can win a couple more games. Who cares? I like, does 7 or 8 really change the view of this season? The Pacers just won 35. And people want to have a parade for the Pacers season. And, and like, understandably so. And it's one of the worst seasons that franchise has had in about 12 years. But they took the right steps individually outside wins and losses. And I know that's a loser mentality. I know it's not how a, a lot of professional sports franchises, you know, want to be viewed, certainly in a multiple-year standpoint. But in this little bubble of 2023, the only thing that matters is Richardson's development. To me, more than wins and losses, the only thing that matters is how he looks at the end of the year and how he is growing into 2024. I completely agree. You sound like Jimmy. I know he's nodding his head over there because I've been playing devil's advocate for the longest time. Like Maybe the gap is so great from Anthony Richardson to the NFL that he needs more time. I don't think it's a failure or an indictment on him if he isn't the week one starter. But we'll see. Obviously, a lot you know, to... I guess go through and then also we'll uh, continue to wait on UKB to ask Shane Steichen who's the starter and um, we'll continue to watch him shoot you down. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've gotten to Kimbe Matumbo at a lot of those press conferences. That's all right. Shooters man. keep shooting, baby. That's what I'm saying. Like Allen Iverson, you just keep bringing it into the paint among the Giants. I respect it. But on hey, a more man. serious note, we have seen some flashes from Colin Granson throughout OTAs. Maybe it'll carry over into the veteran minicamp. But what do you think of the opportunity he has in front of him in this offense? And, you know, does it feel like a make-or-break-it season for Kylan Granson considering how loaded that tight end room is just as far as bodies and different styles? Yeah, I mean, James, every day we've been out there, I mean, he's consistently, I think, shown shown up and, and been consistent as a performer as well, which I think at times you're like, okay, how secure are those hands? So big year for him. I mean, year three, year three of any rookie contract or any rookie, uh, any player on a rookie contract, considering those are you know mostly four years, it's a huge, huge season. And this is a big spring because every day we've been out there, Jelani Woods is watching. Mm-hmm. Drew Ogletree is watching. Will Mallory, the rookie out of Miami, is watching. So all three of those guys are banged up right now. So, I mean, it's really him and Mo Alley-Cox as the two main tight ends with the first unit and, and sometimes even that that second unit. So huge for him. Uh, one of the few questions Shane Steichen has, I think, answered the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, he was seemed pretty optimistic about what Granson has shown. And, you know, Kylan, who's never lacked confidence, but I, I think he felt, feels pretty good about where he's been at in the spring period. And, you know, I, I just tweeted out before I hopped on, I would say one bummer for Richardson and Minshew this spring is, like, I get to the end of practice and I, like, look at my notebook and I'm like, who are these num- What are these numbers? Like, who are they completing these passes to? I'm like, who is number 12? Who is number 15? Who is number 9? Like, they are not getting the chance to complete passes to guys that you would think would be out there this fall. That's just the health of the wideouts and the tight ends. I mentioned the tight ends that have been out. We've been out there for three OTA sessions, one each of the last three weeks. No Pittman, no Pierce, no Josh Downs. And that's probably wide receiver one, two, and three. So um, I do think when you get to camp, depending on what happens next week, I mean, that could be really the first time in 11-on-11 11 11 sessions that Minshew and or Richardson have thrown to any of these guys. So 
Granson's taking advantage of it, but I think bigger picture for the team, you know, some, some growth has been stunted or halted a little bit just by the lack of availability. KB, on Monday, you had a piece about Quiddy Pay come out. About a month ago, Lara Overton was in here, and we talked to Quiddy. Uh, this is year three for him, but when you look at it, after this season, the Colts will have uh, the the chance to pick up his fifth-year option. So how big of a season is this for Quiddy, not just for himself individually, but for the def- for the defense moving forward? Yeah, huge, huge, Eddie. Um, you know, again, it's kind of going off. It's pretty much a pseudo-contract year for him, and that the Colts have got to make some statement with their actions on what they think of them come next next spring on, okay, do you pick up that fifth-year rookie option that you have for first-round picks, or do you not, and then do you let him play out that, that contract? And, you know, the Colts haven't had many first-round picks in Ballard's tenure. Malik Hooker and Quentin Nelson, and then after that you had that – that, that, that gap where you traded your first-round pick for Buckner and you traded out of the first round in that other draft. So uh, he hasn't had many of these decisions to be made. And I thought, you know, Pay really took a step forward last year. It was just more availability where you got to the end of the year and he had missed a handful of games through that high, high ankle sprain. And uh, But I felt like when he was out there, you liked some of the strides that he was taking. I think you still want, to, want him to take another, you know, step forward and obviously prove his health. But also, like, get to the end of the year and you're like, all right, this dude was a 10 or 11 sack guy, but it wasn't like a Yannick quite 10 or 11 sack. You still felt like in the place he wasn't getting a sack that he was able to, you know, wreak some havoc and probably more of a three-down guy, of course, than Ngakwe as well. So, Bernard Ryman, Quiddy Pay, you know, due to Anthony Richardson, due to Shaquille Leonard and their name recognition and their respective storylines, those two names and Ryman and Pay won't be, like, the front-line storylines entering camp. But if you get to, you know, mid-January 2024 and you can sit there as a franchise and say, we feel really good about Cody Pay moving forward and or we feel really good about Bernard Ryman moving forward, that is monumental to the future of your franchise at critical positions and ultimately supporting Richardson because then you aren't restarting. You know, Tarek Glenn was already in place when Peyton Manning was, was drafted. Anthony Costanza was already in place when Andrew Luck was drafted. That was huge for those guys and having that left tackle out there and feeling good about that. With Luck, you had to chase the pass rush draft pick time and time again in his tenure. And with Manning, you you hit on Freeney just a couple years into it, so you didn't have to chase that anymore. So when you have that young QB, you're trying to support him, the ability to kind of cross those needs off the list and not have to chase it in the draft, vital. Kevin Bowen with us of Kevin and Query. You hear him 7 to 10 here on The Fan. Also the Colts beat writer at 1075thefan.com and host of the Kevin's Corner podcast. Kev, I mentioned at the top of the conversation a shout-out to your running mate there on Kevin's Corner and Eddie Garrison with his piece about Jonathan Taylor and our discussion we had yesterday. I want to clarify this on the front end with you. You hate it as much as I do. Like I, I hate conversations that are just had for the sake of it's June, but this is a real issue now as you continue to see running back after running back that signs a deal while they're young while it seems like good money and then at the end of it they're either being traded or they're being waived so this isn't necessarily to put too much pressure on the Colts but you and Jake have had this conversation when you look at Jonathan Taylor and let's just operate under the assumption that he has a bounce back year not quite the triple crown season that he had in 2021 but a high level year where he wants market reset value money how are you balancing that in terms of the amount of years you'd be willing to go 
versus knowing that if you do go too long, you're setting yourself up for a very tough, complicated decision down the line like Carolina had, like Minnesota had right now. Where are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, and first off, I think it's a totally relevant topic. I mean, trust me, hand raised, we will try and manufacture, manufacture <laughs> sure, some, sure. Some, some, some topics here <laughs> over the next month and a half because welcome to being in a market without an MLB team hey. in June and July. Hey now. But considering Dalvin Cook's situation, considering how Chris Ballard typically hands out extensions around July and August, this is very relevant, and he's a great, great player at a position that a lot of teams just do not value in the NFL like they used to. So, uh, to me, it is really, really relevant. Um, Having said all that, and I think my opinion probably differs from the Colts, just I'll say that up front, I am probably giving Taylor no more than, I would say, two, maybe three years. Um, And, again, I know that differs from the Colts. And, you know, we had George Bremer on earlier today, and I know James feels the same way I do, really respect George's opinion. And George kind of threw out that that, that five-year number. And I think he was saying that a little bit more from the Colts standpoint of, like, what he thinks they would do. Uh, To me, that's just too much. And, and again, Taylor, incredible talent. And there are a lot of reasons, I think, to think that Taylor could be an anomaly, considering that he has been so durable. Now, the counter to that could be Father Time started showing his head last year. And Taylor, probably more than any running back in the NFL right now, had workload in college unlike anybody else. I mean, Wisconsin gave him the ball every single freaking play. So when does that kind of add up? Um, you know, I said it to George earlier today. I, part of me would do this. I'd let him play out the rookie contract. That's this year. Then I'd slap the franchise tag on him, and then I'd probably let him walk. And I know that's on. there's a lot of people that could say, that's pretty disrespectful to Jonathan Taylor. Nothing against him. Um, love how he plays. Love how he's wired. It's just don't have your kids grow up and be running backs. It's just that that is such an issue, I think, in today's NFL and how that position is viewed. And I get it, especially when the guy does not impact on third down. And, and I think with Taylor, he's not shown that ability to, you know, I, I think at times last year, he had some blocking issues on third down. Yes. And, you know, he's not Alvin Kamara. He's not Christian McCaffrey. So, um, I know we're nitpicking with him because he's a great talent, and you want to support Richardson. So I do think keeping him around for, again, in that kind of two- to three-year window makes some sense. But, you know, from Edrin to Joseph Adai and Dominique Rhodes or, you know, how these teams are reacting around the NFL, I think those that part of kind of roster building makes sense. You know, if I named the 20 Super Bowl winners from the last two decades, you guys could all name the quarterbacks pretty quickly. Uh, we would probably struggle to get to all the starting running backs on those teams. So that's how I kind of view things with Taylor. I think Pittman is more of a priority or should be more of a priority to re-sign than Taylor, even though you would say Taylor is the better player. Um, So, again, this is my opinion. I I don't think Ballard agrees with that at all, and I could see them definitely giving him some four- or five-year extension and doing it here uh, before the start of the season. Leading rushers in the last 14 Super Bowls have made no more than $2.5 million. Just want to throw that stat out there for what it's worth. Insane. And is it, it's Leonard Fournette, right? Atop that list, I yeah. think it was. Yeah. Maybe Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. yeah. Wild. It's wild. KB just reminded me that when I have kids, not to make them running backs. And obviously, <laughs> that means my beautiful, muscular frame. 
I'm I'm joking. I'm like a buck forty right now, <laughs> soaking wet. But um, hey, you got a good third down back frame. You got a good little scat back frame. Oh no, I have a uh, good you know press box frame where I sit down and I watch large men do what I will never do. Now we talked about Pittman a little bit there. How do you think those negotiations will go? Considering that he, unlike unlike John Taylor, hasn't had like a all time great season for the franchise. But he's also been put in a unique situation where he hasn't had stability to even perform at his best at his position. And then also, he might not be physically as gifted as a true number one receiver, whatever that means. Yeah, it's all very important conversations to be had on that front. You know, I think you bring up several good points there. I looked up the other day, over the last couple of years, I want to say Pittman is like, 24th, 23rd, somewhere in there in receiving yards in the NFL. Um, and then I just then I looked at the names above him and looked at the quarterbacks of who was throwing to those guys versus Pittman. I mean, so Pittman has caught balls from Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, and Sam Ellinger. I think I have all of his quarterbacks right over the last two years. I mean, holy hell, you know, I yeah. – if I'm his agent, I just <laughs> I say to Chris Ballard, yeah, these are the these are the QBs, and let me know what you think of those QBs because I think your actions have spoken louder of what you've done with those QBs after the seasons that they've been here. So, yeah, you know, again, is he a top 15 wide out of the league? No, he's not. But when you're trying to support Michael Pittman, and I don't think we look at Alex Pearson think like unquestioned number one. I don't think we look at Josh Downs, and again, this is me just kind of stating of what the wideout depth chart looks like. Like, I think Downs can be a really important piece for you. I think Pierce can be a really important piece for you. But it's not like anybody is waiting in the wings to be that number one wideout for you. Um, I think at some point, it's not like you're spending the money on anything else. You do bite a little bit of the bullet, and you pay Pittman. And you certainly continue to look for wideouts. And, you know, when you think to the two quarterbacks that are most often – compared to Anthony Richardson for various reasons. I think it's Josh Allen as Jalen Hurts. Well, what happened when Josh Allen got a guy like Stephon Diggs? What happened when you know Jalen Hurts got a guy like A.J. Brown? Pittman is not those guys, but again, you need to have somebody else as you try to continue to get those guys. So, uh, I think Pittman's a guy that is worth betting on, continuing to be consistent for you, and continuing to be an important guy for you. Just because he's not one of the dudes in Cincinnati or, you know, wherever, doesn't mean that you're in this luxury position where you just let him walk. I mean, do you want Alec Pierce and Josh Downs to be atop the depth chart as Anthony Richardson reaches the most critical parts of his career? Oh, man. Um, so I, I, would, I would hand that $20 million to him, and I know it's an oxor, and I know some people would push back on it, um, but I, that's just how I believe – the NFL game operates, so you need to have some support there at wideout. And, again, I think uh, you haven't done any any service to Pittman in terms of the quarterbacks that have thrown him the football lately. Do you think they go veteran route with cornerback? We always joke about Ballard's willingness to spend or not to spend during off seasons. Guys like Marcus Peters, Eli Apple, just to name a few in terms of high-level name recognition, Kyle Fuller. Is there a veteran brought in here once – the Isaiah, I mean, I, I guess that's a two-part question because I was going to say once Isaiah Rodgers is gone, but like, Kev, assuming this is a year-long suspension, uh, they're going to cut him, right? And and I guess that's a two-parter. Are they going to cut him, and then do they go the veteran route? Do they ride with the rookies? Yeah, I would assume that they cut him, but again, I want to emphasize that 
that that assumption part of it. Sure. Um, and, and we'll have to see if the types of bets and all of that is is true. I mean, for what it's worth, Isaiah Rogers released a statement. That statement had what five or six sentences into it. I didn't read one ounce of trying to uh, discredit or challenge the allegations that were against him. Um, so I think that is pretty telling to you. Uh, you know. That kind of goes back to my earlier point. I've seen Ballard at, at some positions in the offseason, Jimmy, kind of sit there and say, you know what, I'll roll with the youth. We, we've drafted these guys. Let's, let's go with it. And I'm totally fine. The position doesn't directly impact Richardson. I would be good with it. You just laid out some names that are out there. Certainly there are some guys that have resumes in the league. And, you know, is there an element of like, hey, let's just get a body in here to be a veteran? Like part of me almost looks at, Rashard Perriman right now as a first-round pick, and by no means am I saying this is the signing, and honestly the reason I thought this is probably not very – isn't a ringing endorsement of what I think he can bring to this football team, but this is a 2015 first-round pick that never sniffed living up to first-round pick potential, like for one season. So is there any element that he can bring to that room of like, hey, Alec, hey, Michael, this is what I didn't do right. Like, if I was 23 again, if I was 24 again, this is what I would do. Is there any part of that you want to get into the cornerback room, seemingly Kenny Moore and a bunch of 22-year-olds there? I know there's a couple guys that are a little bit older, but um, I I could see Ballard rolling with what they've got right now. Uh, But it's been a little bit just not hugely disappointing. But Juju Brent's having the wrist injury, unable to participate here in the spring. But Darius Rush has been sidelined the last two weeks. He's a guy that I, I really, really like out of South Carolina. He hasn't been out there. So, I mean, boy, Dallas Flowers, here you go. Here's the starting job. Do with it what you want. You know, Tony Brown's another guy right now. Daryl Baker Jr. I know these aren't household names, but these are the guys. So, a Dallas Flowers, Juju Brent's, Kenny Moore trio, week one. That would be my assumption right now with, you know, Darius Rush, Tony Brown, and Daryl Baker knocking on that door. All right, KB, in conclusion here, it is Rosie Bowen's birthday either this weekend, right? It is Rosie Bowen. Yep, yep. I'm going to Bluey tomorrow at Old National Center. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have heard of Bluey. Yes. yes. Uh, were you able to secure yeah. the pink cake? That's my big question here so in conclusion. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can go ahead and say, say the place on air. You know, I, I filled out the order form for Taylor's Bakery earlier in the week. They've charged my credit card. Um, I, I did not get any confirmation email, so I maybe should deliver a phone call to them just to make sure because I'm imagining the waterworks, Rosie and I walking in there tomorrow morning to pick up said cake and said cake not being there. But I feel like the charge of the credit card is a good indication there. So, yes, we're, we're going pink cake for the party on Sunday. We'll be rocking in the old National Center with Australian dogs. Bluey coming up tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And, uh, yeah, welcome to Parenthood, baby. <laughs> any decorations on the cake or is it just a, a pink cake is there any theme with it yeah we got some yeah yeah i i requested some flowers in the corner um Ooh. can't remember if i put bows on there you know she's wrote we, we, we call her rosie bow uh, so you know hence the last name i know mm, it's kind of cheesy well done uh but i the em- emphasis was heavy heavy pink it was purple last year we've migrated to pink this year i'll keep you posted on what four-year-old life will bring for rosie <laughs> Well, uh, thank you for the play-by-play. I will take your word for it on adulthood and parenthood and all those things. I'm going to try to take a kid as long as possible with no responsibilities on a Saturday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, KB, thanks for your time as always, my man, and I'll see you real soon. 
I, I have to laugh whenever, you know, parenthood or, you know, parenting young children get brought up in the cult media room, the look on James Boyd's face. It's honestly the best birth control probably possible out there for, Man. for James when, 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 when he has to witness. I guess it would have been Zach, but certainly uh, – Certainly, Joel and I, and uh, and a little bit of Stephen as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it just brings up anxiety for me, so I'll, I'll pass uh, for the foreseeable future <laughs> for sure. But I will see you soon, KB. Bye, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, KB, too. That's Kevin Bowen. You can follow him on Twitter at kbowen1070. And when you look at his situation with the Colts and monitoring it as closely as we are for what's going to wind up happening at corner. And it goes back to our larger conversation, which is that unless it's a veteran that you can find on a nice one-year type of deal that's not expending too much of the cap necessarily, that's going to help do two things. One, help alongside Kenny Moore to bring clear, concise veteran leadership and presence within that locker room. But two, you would hope it would also help within the growth and development of the rookies that you have. Now that goes back to our quarterback conversation of what's better for a rookie sitting behind or actually getting live reps. And for the Colts, you would think if they go pick up a veteran off the free agent pool of players, that it's going to be a one-year deal. It's not going to be a multi-year contract that's there. So again, you have to weigh your options of, is it better to go get a one-year veteran for a more surefire answer at corner or is it better to give the rookies that you were going to maybe slowly bring along a true throw them in the water and see what they can do type of moment? That's the another pressing conversation the Colts are going to have to make and answer relatively quickly because you don't want to have this decision be something that's, oh, yeah, we signed a guy a week before the season starts. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think that will be the scenario. Right. But honestly, I guess a silver lining, if there is one for this situ- situation, for the team, that is, will be – we weren't going to win that many games anyways, so let's just put the young guys out there and we can just say, hey, well, we didn't see this coming and this is what we had to do. And and you kind of are absolved because of the alleged misconduct of Isaiah Rogers Sr. People get confused by this all the time. The reason I laugh at James is because I've said the same thing, which is that I'm not saying, nor is James, I'm not saying actively throw the rookies out there to improve your chances of losing more games. I'm saying that you know what this season is going to be. You know you have a need at corner. Throw them out there because you want to find out if they're worthy of being a starter next year when Anthony Richardson is a year further along. And also you're not having to dip into the bottom of the free agent class. You're able to do it right at the top and address the need at the start of the offseason versus right now you you kind of got your tail between your legs with the Isaiah Rogers situation. And if they're good, you don't have to pay them. A lot right. right now, right? which helps. I mean, if Darius Rush and Juju Brents hit, that's fantastic. You got your cornerbacks of the future, and you don't have to pay them until three or four years from now. It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. We'll step aside. Still to come, a conversation with Katie Wingy covers the Nuggets for Altitude TV, Game 4 of the NBA Finals. You can hear that right here at 7.30 on 93.5 107.5 The Fan. More after this, including a look at our thoughts going into Game 4 and some more Colt OTAs discussion after the break on the Fan Midday Show. It's the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd with Eddie Garrison. Thanks for spending part of your Friday with us. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. A clarification on one thing. Coverage begins 7.30 right here at 935-1075. The Fan. Be sure to lock into that. Of course, tip off still your normal 8.30. I got a couple 
eyebrow raises both in studio and the mentions. But that's where you need to be locked in, ready to go. When you're getting your snacks set up, when you're getting your last-minute bets placed, you want to be able to have some type of pregame coverage in your life. No better avenue than here on The Fan right. at 7.30. Come on right here, man. We'll we have got you. all of the details involving Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets and then obviously the Heat and Jimmy Butler, who, again, is very confident that they're going to win game four, tie this thing up. But I don't know. I feel like Nikola Jokic, who doesn't say anything ever, is probably in his head like, oh, really? Okay. Well, I'm going to just drop you know, <laughs> 30, and, 30 and 20 on you, you know, and just one-up what I did the last game. We had Michael Malone trotting out after game two, and I've highlighted this a couple of times this week, about 14 instances, instances I beg your pardon, on tape where effort was lacking by Denver, led to 30 to 40 Miami points. They addressed that. They went into the fourth of the lead, and even though Miami has had the best record, I think going in they were four and five this postseason when trailing in the fourth quarter. Now, obviously, four and six since they lost in game three, but other teams were well below 500 when trailing entering the fourth, which has just kind of been Miami's wonderful story of being an eight seed and being able to find ways to win still in the fourth quarter of these games. But when you look at not just the adjustments that were made, James, but the fact that Michael Malone was very confident that we know it's a lack of effort. Is it really just that for why Miami was able to take a game in Denver? Or is it more so that they were doing what we've seen them do offensively all postseason, which is they got their looks from three, they hit them, Bam made his presence felt, and Jimmy Butler, even though he didn't have an otherworldly game in game two I'm talking about, he rose to the occasion, they were able to capitalize is it really a matter of Denver's that much better and if they don't have full effort, Miami's going to even this? Or does Miami have a shot to really dictate the terms of what happens tonight in Game 4? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I understand what Michael Malone is doing. Sure. You want to always focus on your team, but in reality, you're facing another really good team on the other side. And so what Miami did was make you pay like they've made every team pay up until this point. And so I do think that there are moments where they could have been more focused and things like that. However, I can't – and he's not doing this, but I can't, like, absolve you of a loss and just say it's all effort. No. Like, Miami had to make shots. They made adjustments. They made it hard on some of your players. I mean, Jamal Murray did not have a great game in game two. Was he not trying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was playing hard. There's just instances where, again, they weren't as sharp as they needed to be. And Miami made them pay. And so I think that's just a product of what Miami does to any team. Whenever they give you any type of room to step into a moment or an opportunity, Miami always seizes that opportunity, it seems like. Now, again, I think tonight will determine a lot for this series because I just don't see how Miami would be able to recover from being down two games in this series and obviously having to win three straight if they go down 3-1. I don't think they have enough firepower to do that. I don't think their margin for error is large enough for them to do that. And I do think that the Nuggets have a larger margin for error. I mean, last game, Michael Porter Jr. did absolutely nothing on the court, and they still won. Yeah. Now, I expect him to be better. He hasn't really had an MPJ game MPJ game in this series so far. That could be tonight, and that could be another di- difference maker. And so it just seems like um, 
you know, they faced a good team in game two. They lost, and they're better for it, having won game three, and they have a chance to put a stranglehold in the series now in game four. I love historical stats, even though in general they usually don't mean a ton in terms of what's going to actually happen on the floor in present day. But James, do you know what the 2022 Boston Celtics, the 2021 Phoenix Suns, the 2016 Golden State Warriors, the 2015 Cleveland Cavaliers, the 2013 San Antonio Spurs, and the 2011 Miami Heat all have in common? Man. I don't know. Like, maybe an MVP? Probably, but... I didn't take the time to dive that far into it. I'm cheating because I have the information in front of me in a piece on ESPN.com. They were all up 2-1 in the NBA Finals. The word pivotal always gets thrown around in these series, but even growing up, and Mike Breen has done in the past, I, I can hear it clear as day, oh. a pivotal game three. Those teams that have taken the lead, all those teams I listed, all six, all lost the finals. Six of the last, te- six of the last 10 instances where a team has had a 2-1 series lead, they've lost. It's 7 of the last 14 if you go back to Miami against Dallas in 2006. This is just a, a wonky stat. From 1979 to 2005, there were 22 instances of teams holding a 2-1 lead. All 22 went on to win the title. Post-05, you can find much more uncertainty towards a 2-1 series lead. So we go back to a, a reoccurring segment that we have on the show. Is a stat like that to you something or a nothing burger? So again, for my answer, I was thinking, okay, there's an MVP player on each team. I know like Tim Duncan didn't win MVP in the 2010s or whatever, but I'll say this. Um, no. It's a nothing burger. Doesn't matter. Because okay. I just, like I, I picture you saying that to Nikola Jokic, or asking him now, it could be good or a good set or a bad set. He's gonna be like, "Brother, I don't care," and like he doesn't. So you know, I so you I side with Kevin Durant in terms of his tweet about Nikola Jokic <laughs> from earlier this week. No, no, no. I don't know if I go that far. Like he doesn't care about being a star and things like that. But I, I, I'll say this too, just on a tangent. I think people were kind of killing Kevin Durant over that tweet. But I don't he think it was, it. If you didn't delete it, I don't yeah, think I don't think it was as egregious as they made it no. seem. Like I truly don't think Nikola Jokic cares about anything but winning, and so. I don't think that uh, Miami is good enough to even have the ability to come back and win because you name these other teams that they've that, that have done it. When I think of that 2011 team, you know, with Dirk, Dirk is, you know, arguably the greatest international player ever, you yeah. know, with Hakeem Olajuwon, Giannis, and players like that. So I don't know if I'd put Jimmy in that conversation. I know Jimmy has been great throughout the playoffs, but like the last maybe – two weeks he hasn't looked like superhero Jimmy and that if he was doing that still like what he's doing earlier on in the playoffs I would feel more confident that they could come back from a 2-1 deficit not a 3-1 deficit by any means but I just don't think that the Nuggets gonna let this chance slip away from them you know being down there in Miami and have a chance to come back home and close it out for good and not have to travel again and to your point you didn't have this type of disparity in the seed line now like exactly. you did back then. Yeah, that's true. Golden State comes back over Boston. Milwaukee comes over Phoenix. Cleveland over Golden State. Golden State over Cleveland. Heat over San Antonio and Dallas over Miami. And you're right, there wasn't that type of next level 
completeness feeling about the team to where, yes, this is a star-studded lineup. This is a team that's going to beat you more ways than one. This conversation, I think, would shift in terms of how much it matters if it was Miami that was holding a 2-1 series lead right now because Denver fits the mold more closely to those teams that have overcome a deficit that pre-2006 was insurmountable and post-2006 has been a point of conversation for, hey, we're not out of this yet. It's a different vibe when it's Miami. Even with everything they've accomplished, not taking away anything they've done in this run, but I, I don't disagree with you at all in regards to where this series is likely to go, even if Miami does even it up tonight. No, I, I, it's hard to bet against Nikola Jokic. I have never seen a player like him. I don't think anybody has. And anytime he does anything, there's like, oh, he's the first person since Wilt. And anytime you're the first person since Wilt, it's always something ridiculous because that I mean, what was the guy who averaged fifty points a game for an entire season? It's funny how those stats and names change once you get to the finals. Exactly. Like you can do it in the conference finals all you want, but once you start putting up those numbers at the next level, the names get way bigger. I mean, and they were the two. Him and Jamal Murray were the first pair of teammates that were thirty point triple double apiece in any game, regular season, postseason, finals. They did that, and so I just think that it's their time. They're very much locked in, as you like to say, and it feels like they're not going to let this opportunity slip out of their hands. And as I said, I believe off air, you can't guarantee that these guys are going to be back here because of, like you said, injuries. I know we looked at that OKC team from way back when with James Harden, Katie and Russ, and we we're like, oh, they're going to be here every year. One finals appearance, yep. you know, even with Milwaukee, one finals appearance with Giannis. And so you think that these teams, after they win it or after they get there, oh, they're going to be there year after year. No, I think that they all know how hard it is to get there, how lucky you have to be as far as injuries and things like that to get there, be healthy enough to finish it out. And um, just that big dude in the middle is not going to let this opportunity slip away from him. And I think he's going to – I think in a few days, you know, if they win tonight, win Monday – He's going to be able to lay claim to being the best player in the world. He won't say it himself, but I'll say it for him because, again, he is dominant. And and he does it in a way that is funky, graceful, and very unique that we've never seen before. And he's going to join more elite company if the Nuggets wind up winning because he'll have both a regular – well, I guess he won't have it this year, but he'll have – previous regular season MVPs already in the closet to go along with a finals MVP likely headed his way. Again, we can debate that a little bit later as the series unfolds. Perhaps Jamal Murray is able to fully take over to a point that he's stealing votes, but if it ended today, I know who I'd be voting for for finals MVP. Still to come, we'll have a conversation with Katie Wingy. I mean, hey man, I need more I need more double figure scoring than just one game, but uh, he could get a vote if he keeps it up. I, I, it all depends on the situational aspect of it. You could have a conversation, wouldn't be my conversation, but you could have a conversation that Christian Brown was a key portion of why Denver was able to take a 2-1 series lead. So we'll have that larger conversation in a little bit. Top of the two o'clock hour. Katie Wingy going to join us. Covers the Nuggets. It's a host, reporter, and analyst for Altitude TV. Again, as we mentioned, game four of the NBA Finals. Coverage starts 7.30 here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. News in the NFL regarding a running back that we discussed yesterday uh, became official a little bit ago. We discussed it with Kevin Bowen. What is Dalvin Cook's release from the Minnesota Vikings mean for the rest of the NFL and the running back position as a whole. We'll close the 2 o'clock hour that way on the Fan Midday Show. 
We're back at the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. Thanks for listening on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Always thank you as well in the YouTube chat, hanging out and spending some time with us here on a Friday. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. James, we mentioned the announcement that became official from Tom Pelissero that Dalvin Cook is going to hit the free agent market at about, I think, 401 today, whenever that goes official and free to sign with any team. I know we went in-depth yesterday on what it means on the Colts side of things for Jonathan Taylor, but when you look specifically at Dalvin Cook and what he would still have left in theory as a 27-year-old and a talented back, what are you expecting in terms of the type of money you'd be willing to invest in him? And if there is a true running back market reset, not in the good kind, by the way, the bad kind where we labeled it with Kevin Bowen of the last 14 Super Bowl champions, the leading rusher on that team has made at most $2.5 million. I'll say that again. Of the last 14 Super Bowl champions, the leading rusher on the team at running back, $2.5 million or less was their salary. So we've mentioned with DeAndre Hopkins, does money matter to him? Does he want to go to a contender with Dalvin Cook? He was already arguably on a contender Quotes no. for the YouTube chat. No. A contender. Definitely no. was in the in that, in that conference, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. In, in that conference, that's a fair point. In that conference, they were. Big picture, probably not. What's the future hold for Dalvin Cook? What type of interest would you have if you were running a team with, let's say, outside of Buffalo and Kansas City? Because I don't think he's going to take a $1 million deal to go be a running back there. I think he's going to go for somewhere where he finds middle ground. Well, obviously... You bring him to Indianapolis. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I know probably a couple of Colts fans like, what are you talking about? Get this guy out of here. No, I do think that it's probably somewhere maybe in that eight to ten million dollar range. Um, I don't know if I'd go any higher than ten because you have to understand that other teams also had the ability to trade for him and chose not to. And so that speaks to what his value is looked at league wide. I know he, I believe he was due like 14 million guaranteed or something like that coming up this season. So I expect them to be suitors, but maybe he has to get in this idea or in this mind state of maybe I don't have to, you know, pursue all of the money and I can find some sweet spot to still get paid handsomely and have a chance to, you know, play winning football. Cause I can't imagine him going somewhere and signing a lucrative deal, you know, that's so large that it doesn't matter what team he goes to. Teams with the most cap space per overthecap.com will go through the top 10. Bears, Panthers, Cardinals, Jets, Lions, Colts. Maybe James is on to something oh there. My goodness. Cowboys, Browns, Texans, Packers. That's thirty-two million well, I mean, in cap space, Miami. all the way down to sixteen million in cap space. <laughs> Dolphins have thirteen million in cap space. That's not out of the realm of possibility. That's a good middle ground area in terms of if you're Miami and you're as potent as you think you are on offense. Adding somebody like Dalvin Cook, low risk, high reward type of move. Oh, absolutely. That would actually really, really, I think, benefit them and add to their already explosive offense. But as far as resetting the market and the reverse way that we think of it. This will be a case study because he's been a good player. I mean, he's been, I believe, four consecutive Pro Bowls, four consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. He's so one of the names you think of as who are the best running backs in the league, and when he's been healthy, he's on that list. Yeah, but as we've said, 
you know, with you, KB, Eddie, I mean, we're just repeating the obvious. The league is so much different than it was 20, 25 years ago. It is a passing league. And honestly, if you're a slightly above average receiver, you have more of a chance of getting paid than you are of being one of the best running backs in the NFL. Tough break. This is from Adam Schefter. Miami Dolphins and Denver Broncos are two of the teams that are expected to have an interest in signing him. This was a day ago. May I tell you something? That's not a that's not a difficult decision for me unless the money is just wildly different. I'm going to Miami. Like if if, if Miami calls you, yeah, I'm there. going. I'm, I, I'm going to Miami. That matters. <laughs> Jimmy Cook and James Boyd with Eddie Garrison. We'll have a conversation with Katie Wingy when we return. Covers the Denver Nuggets as an analyst, a host, and a reporter for Altitude TV. Game four of the NBA Finals set to get underway. We'll get her thoughts and analysis of how this series has gone with Denver. Looking to take a commanding 3-1 to one series lead on the Fan Midday Show. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. You're listening to 107.5 The Fan, the Midday Show. Hope you're enjoying your Friday, getting ready for a awesome or an awesome weekend. My mom will tell me to make sure I pronounce my words better. And um, we have a very special guest on the line, someone who I enjoyed um, following from afar when I was doing the NBA beat, uh, Katie Wingy, who is a TikTok star, if you don't know, along with being the Denver Nuggets reporter for Altitude <laughs> TV and, you know, host and other hats and names and things like that. So, Katie, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm honored that you just called me a TikTok star. That feels very generous. No, it very is. Very generous it's, of an intro. I will tell all the listeners out there, you go follow her right now. It's, it's really cool. I think you do a great job showing what it's like to be in your shoes and sort of that behind the scenes aspect of this team. And obviously this team is in a unique position where you all are um, on the brink of doing something really special. So I guess I'll start with Chris Haynes' piece that I saw where he reported that Nikola Jokic actually spoke up after game two to kind of grab the team's attention. How rare is it for him to be that sort of leader? Because it does seem like he's very much lead by example, but I guess after game two, he needed to say something you know, to the team. You know what's interesting is that Joker was asked about that yesterday, and he said, I really don't remember saying anything. <laughs> so I don't know if there was a, a misreporting that was happening or if maybe just some communication got lost in translation, but Jokic was like, I don't feel like I said anything. I don't feel like I stood up and said anything in, after that Game 2 loss. And to be honest with you guys, it was a variety of different players saying different things. This veteran group with this Nuggets team has just been so instrumental in getting them where they are today. And they, DeAndre Jordan, Ish Smith, KCP, Jeff Green, all of those guys, and the fact that they were talking about effort after Game 2 and not putting your best effort forth, something that the Nuggets have complete control over, that was something that really rubbed them the wrong way. And I know that the veterans weren't the only ones that felt that. So it's one of those things where Nikola Jokic probably spoke up as well and said, hey, we need to be better. We know we're better than this. I'm not sure that he was the only one that spoke up, but he definitely, when he does speak, everybody listened. One of those guys you mentioned was Jeff Green, someone who our listeners may not be aware. He had open heart surgery years ago. And his future in the NBA at the time was in question. And here he is all these years later on the brink of winning an NBA championship and obviously trying to seize a game tonight to really put a stranglehold in the series. What does he mean to this team as far as leadership, character, and just how to be a pro? So much, so much. He's taught these young guys. I can't even put it into words, to be honest with you. And more than that, it's, 
him and DeAndre in particular, they're like BFFs and total buddies. But both of them, the way they show up every day for this Nuggets team in terms of leadership, but also in terms of just personality, like being joyful, being fun, smiling, not taking life too seriously. I think it reminds some of these guys that are playing really heavy minutes, like it's basketball. Like we don't have to take it so seriously. We care about it and we're serious about it. But it's okay to show up and, like, laugh and have fun and have a good time doing what you have set out to do and and chase a goal that you have set out to accomplish. And so Jeff Green, he keeps guys locked in. He gets on guys when he needs to, especially in huddles. He's constantly talking about coverages and where guys need to be and where the Nuggets need to be better. I think he's harsh when he needs to be and and is fun when he needs to be and just has such a, a gift, a talent, for sensing what this Nuggets team needs and when they need it. Katie, I know your focus is on the NBA Finals as it should be, and that's such a unique opportunity as a reporter, as a host, as an analyst to see the team that you cover make this run to the finals that Denver's on. But when you get an interesting wrinkle that's thrown in today where the Thunder and Nuggets are a part of a trade that involves <laughs> potential first round picks, uh, obviously for Denver, years down the line, or for Thunder rather, years down the line, but for Denver, 37 and 40 in this draft. And with how the CBA is changing to make it more difficult for teams to acquire veteran talent, is the biggest takeaway from this trade, it gives general manager Calvin Booth more opportunities to acquire low-cost contracts as this extended championship window is built out for Denver? 100%. I think it's just trying to keep that championship window open for longer and to give them a little bit of wiggle room to use their money as they please. I just mentioned those veterans and thinking about them not being around is like heartbreaking at this point because obviously you hope that this ends the way they want it to with the Denver Nuggets team. And Jokic talked about that too. Like it, he was asked something along the lines of, is this the most meaningful basketball that you've played? And he instantly went to, it's meaningful because we have a bunch of guys who haven't accomplished this before and they deserve it. And I want to do this for them. And so he he called out those veterans right away and was like, they've been here and and they are so important to what we do and who we are. And I I really want them to experience this more than he even talked about himself experiencing it. So I think that with that in mind, they're trying to stay young, stay fresh, look for some talent that they might feel fits really well with the Denver Nuggets team and keep that window open as long as possible. I think a perfect example of what you're talking about as far as him loving his teammates, Jokic that is, is with the interaction we saw with Monte Morris after that yeah. game. And I was like, wow, like that is the most lit up I've probably seen Nikola throughout this series it's as far as emotion and things like that. And so when we look at how he plays, who he is as a person, as a leader, how unique is it to cover someone who I think people still don't want to give him the crown of being best player in the world because it doesn't look a certain way, but by God, it looks amazing to me. So what is it like to cover someone who is dominant, who is a great player, who is one of the best players ever, I think, and will never say it or lean into it ever himself? Well, I love that you said that because truthfully, I don't think that he really cares. And that's something that is just unbelievable to me because, I mean, He doesn't care about the stats. He doesn't really care about how well he plays. All he wants to do is win a championship. He just wants to win basketball games. And so when you're around him, you recognize that for him, this this isn't so much about the accolades and the history that he's making. This is so much more about the relationships that he has and the culture that he's embraced and what this Nuggets team has really built. I mean, he said it a couple times, like, this is something that's so special. This is, they have an opportunity to do something that's so special. 
And for him, he cares much more about, you know, his teammates and the people that he's met along the way and having his family along for this ride. And at the end of the day, the, the basketball is going to stop bouncing at some point. And for him, he knows that and he has a life outside of it. And and sometimes for him, it's like, I'm just going to clock in and do my job and do it the best of my ability and, and try and do something special. But it's really cool to see him be a human being on top of just being a basketball player. Yeah, it's awesome to see. And I think one of the things that just blows my mind is he's in that 1% of like players who are all-time greats to me. Now, people can argue about it. I think if he retired tomorrow without a ring, with a ring, he'd be a Hall of Famer. That's how great I think he has been the last few seasons and where he's kind of risen throughout his career. But um, looking at how he's played off of Jamal Murray and you being around the team, you saw firsthand the struggles that Jamal Murray has gone through. I mean, I saw it myself here when I was still on the Pacers beat. He would come to, you know, to Indy, and he had these big, huge ice heads on his knees. He's warming up, but he didn't even play that yeah. season. So to see him bounce back, play his best basketball on the biggest stage, how gratifying is that and how galvanizing is it for the entire team? There's maybe no one I'm happier for and that I feel like deserves this more than Jamal Murray because of what he's done behind the scenes, the work that he's put in, the adversity that he's overcome. And his teammates and his coaches feel that same way. Like, they're just beaming with pride when it comes to Jamal. And everybody was like, okay, what's he going to be like when he comes back from his ACL? And is he going to be able to replicate the type of performances that he had when he was in the bubble? Some people thought that that was the best he, he would ever be. And for him to come out and be playing at a consistent playoff level, proving all of those people wrong, like, hey, that, that was just a glimpse of what I'm capable of doing in the playoffs, or that's just a glimpse at what I'm capable of being as a basketball player, regular season, playoffs, whatever it might be. I mean, he has just exceeded all expectations. I think even like within the Nuggets fan base, everybody was, was willing to – really be patient with him and give him the grace of like, okay, it might take a season or two for him to come back and be 100% himself. It, it didn't take that long at all. He is back and, and better than he's ever been and honestly, like playing his best basketball right now. Katie, there's many pieces within these role players on the Denver Nuggets that have led to the consistency and the dominance they've had during this postseason run, but still, anytime you're able to make an impact as a rookie in the playoffs, let alone the NBA Finals, is is stunning and is something that we can all appreciate. Having seen Christian Brown throughout this season, are you at all surprised at the way he's handled this moment in terms of being called upon in meaningful situations in the Finals? Surprised, yes, but only because I've only known him this season. Like I, I haven't known him as a person past this point in time. And so with that in mind, what I've learned about him is he's absolutely a winner in every way, shape, or form. Like, handles himself like a true pro, even though he's a rookie. And then, on top of that, he fits the Nuggets system so, so well. His game is perfect for what the Nuggets do offensively. The way he moves off the basketball, the way he plays really, really tough defense. He's disciplined in what he does. And that part of his game has just been so seamless in finding a role and finding a name within this Denver Nuggets offense in particular. What do you think of the way he handled himself after he was benched earlier this postseason and taken out because he had some defensive you know, mishaps and things like that and maybe not pouting when a guy his age and his position may feel like, I don't know what to do now. It seemed like he kind of just kept his head down and didn't take it personal. Will you repeat who you're talking about right now? I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, Christian Brown. 
Um, yeah, no, he, again, that, that just speaks to his maturity level. That just speaks to who he is and the way that he carries himself. And I think everybody knows going into your rookie year, like there are going to be some trials and tribulations. There are going to be some bumps that you have to handle and learn from. And a lot of rookies don't play at all and, and have to kind of deal with that after being very crucial players on their college teams. And so, again, the way that he has handled that, the mentality that he's stayed in, having great vets, like I talked about earlier, that's made all the difference in the world for him. Like, okay, this is how it's going to be. And I'm just, anytime I get an opportunity to step on the floor, I'm going to do my absolute best to contribute in a positive way. So heading into game four tonight, obviously this is a game that could really swing the series in favor of the Nuggets. What must they do to oust the Heat, who throughout the postseason seem to have had an answer every time they've been punched? Yeah, I guess I'm going to go with what can they not do because they can't beat themselves. You can't turn the ball over. You can't have messy turnovers. That's where the Heat really, really thrive is scoring in those types of situations. Um, And the Nuggets just have to continue to defend at a high level. That's what they did in Game 3. They were all over the Heat being on a string. Their rotations were top-notch. They were much more disciplined and focused on the game plan. And, And so it's kind of a rinse and repeat scenario, right? Like it's like, okay, we got to our spots. We were much more focused. How do we execute on that level once again, knowing that Spolstra and Miami are going to throw everything they have at the Nuggets in this game for As a storyteller yourself and someone who likes to peel back the layers, how cool is it to see on both sides Nuggets heat, guys who have had such unique pathways to get to the NBA Finals and have this opportunity, whether it's undrafted, whether it's the injury aspect of the Jamal Murray, MPJ, whether it's you know, I was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial or the Jimmy Butler <laughs> yeah. who was, you know, not expected to be what he is now. How cool is it to just see like all of those stories kind of manifest themselves in this special moment? It's amazing. And honestly, it's the easiest thing to root for. I think it's so good for the game and being able to expose and show off some of these players that maybe don't get all of the attention that some of the other players have gotten in this league because it is a superstar league. And so to be able to explain what some of these guys have been through, how they've gotten to this point, it's so relatable. And like I said, it's easy to cheer for on both sides. Like you root for guys that have been battle tested and have been through some tough times and have still found their way and are still able to inspire people and be role models. And those I feel like are are the best showcases for the NBA and for the players that are within it. Katie, this is a team that, Reminds me at times when they're flowing offensively to the extra pass, flashiness, just beautiful execution and team basketball that we saw during the height of the Golden State Warriors days. There's other times where they can beat you in a lot of ways in pick and roll and isolation. They, they, they do it in a number of different levels. Uh, that's a long preamble of saying that a lot has been made nationally about the struggles the last couple of games of Michael Porter Jr. and Contavious Caldwell Pope. Michael Malone pushed back on that in press conferences in recent days, talking about they're better, clearly better players than what they've shown the last couple of games. But at this point, with how Jokic and Murray are playing, does it matter if they're having those off nights? Because clearly it didn't in Game 3 because you got the points elsewhere from guys like Christian Brown, and then Jokic and Murray were carrying the day. Yeah, you need help from somewhere else, right? Like if Jokic and Murray are going to play at that level, but it doesn't really matter where else it comes from. If it's Christian Brown, great. If it's Aaron Gordon, great. If it's Michael Porter Jr., fantastic. If it's KCP, amazing. If they can find the rhythm, obviously that makes the Denver Nuggets team much more of a threat. And I would imagine that the Heat are kind of going to play those percentages in tonight's game in particular and make KCP and MPJ kind of prove that they can make shots again. 
Um, so their focus will be on somebody like Aaron Gordon and not giving him easy, easy looks. I, I'm I'm totally behind Michael Malone in this situation. Talking with KCP and Michael Porter Jr. the past couple of days, both of them still feel very confident. And when they're open, they're going to shoot it. And that's what they need to do for the Denver Nuggets team. All of their teammates want them shooting those shots. They have complete belief that they're going to knock those in. So at the end of the day, you hope that they're able to mix in a few more makes. Both of them believe that they're going to do so. But game three was a great example. The Nuggets just need some sort of supporting cast, whether it's one guy that has a massive game or as a collective unit, everybody chipping in. Katie, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you something that's off on a tangent, but I know that you celebrate others a lot want to celebrate you and what you've done with your career. And um, if you had any advice to the young girls, young women out there who want to be in your position, cover a league, because I wholeheartedly know this to be true, the men's leagues that we amp up would not function without the women who help run them. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you had just a bit of advice for those dreaming of being in your position, um, what would you say? That's such a great question. Thank you for asking it and giving me an opportunity to kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, I think that first and foremost, you have to know that there is a seat at the table for you and you belong and believe in that wholeheartedly. Like find your voice, be confident in your voice and know that what you bring to the table really does matter. And then it's just a process of, of working as hard as you possibly can. I mean, say yes to everything. I did that at the beginning of my career and it ended up getting me where I am today just by getting as much experience, as much opportunity, meeting as many people as possible. But it all starts with a belief in yourself that when people tell you no, it might just be yes in another way. It might just be transforming your path to what you thought it was going to be. So I think being able to outwork people is so, so important and just showing up is half of the battle. Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, I'm rooting for you. I always will be, again, following you on Twitter, TikTok, everything else. Keep up the great work tonight and good luck. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. That's so kind. All right. That was Katie Wingy. Covers the Denver Nuggets for Altitude TV. She does hosting, broadcasting, sideline reporting, TikToking, all those things. Great to talk to her as well. I think she made some great points about how loaded Denver is. I mean, it seems like as long as you get those two horses going and they might get a, they get a third from anywhere else, they're very hard to beat. Well, we also always talk about how you expect role players to struggle a little bit more in practice and theory away from home than they do when they're in the friendly confines in Denver. And that's been the case with a lot of Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., just through game one, and, and you would see if they're going to... Game one in Miami, I beg your pardon, not game one in the series as a whole. You would hope that they're able to have bounce-back games, but to your point, James, you don't even necessarily need the triple-doubles or the 30-plus-point nights from Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic back-to-back. As long as you're getting one of them, and particularly if it's the Joker and the assists or where they need to be, they've had night after night this series where they're not lighting it up from beyond the arc, but they're beating you in so many different ways that it's hard to find one key answer for how Miami can win this series. I'm not to say there's not a couple avenues they could attempt to go down and pick your poison, so to speak, with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, but there are clear pathways for Denver because of how talented of a team they are. For Miami, just like we talked about with the Florida Panthers on the ice, it has to be perfect. Your margin for error is incredibly slim, not just to get a game in this series, 
to even it up at two games apiece, but to also be able to extend this series to the point that, wow, maybe Miami can actually steal this thing. Yeah, and I go back to game two when Miami was able to win that game. It's because Gabe Benson played really well. You know, Max Struess played really well. And these are guys who did not play really well last game. So Struggled, like foul trouble was immense for yeah. Gabe Vincent to a point that he was never able to get into a real no. rhythm offensively. And with how shorthanded they already are, as they've been for the last couple of series without Tyler Hero, you cannot afford to have valuable contributors. You look at how important Gabe Vincent was during that Boston series. Caleb Martin had flashes last game, but... It can't just be flashes. You need near perfection everywhere, and you can't afford for a player like Gabe Vincent to be out there or to be out with foul trouble because for Kyle Lowry, as wow, how did that shot go in moments he can produce? There's also, I mean, what kind of pass was that throughout his postseason career? Less Kyle Lowry at times, more Gabe Vincent, please, if you're a Miami Heat fan. And he just wasn't able to stay out there in Game 3, and it really affected them offensively from a rhythm standpoint. Absolutely. And then Max Struess was 1 for 7, 1 for 4 on threes. What do we talk about? North of 45%, Miami wins games. They shot 31% from beyond the arc. It has to be perfect in all those levels. You're asking Herculean effort by the Heat. That's what it's been this entire run. That's what it has to be to be able to have any shot. Yeah, and I think one thing that sort of – offsets that and is a little more easier to rely on is just that the Heat are a bigger team. I mean, not the Heat, I'm sorry. The Nuggets are a bigger team as far as just height. Like, I can bet on height a lot more than I can bet on your shooting percentages as far as you being able to get hot from three. I would trust, I mean... Aaron Gordon on that Jimmy Butler matchup has been a difference maker, not because of just the height, but but the length and the ability to stay with him. They, exactly. That, that's been highlighted, whether it's on NBA TV's film session reviews or whether it's just live in the broadcast with, with Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, is whenever Aaron Gordon's out there, regardless of what's happening with Jimmy Butler, if it's injury, if it's fatigue, Aaron Gordon is playing a large part of limiting him defensively, and that's just one example. And then I would even throw this out there. I think... MPJ's ability to bounce back is greater than a Gabe Vincent or a Max Struess because of who is creating the shots, number one. Yeah. Nicole Yocha is going to get you some open shots a lot more because of the attention he garners himself. But number two, MPJ is 6'10". So if you contest it, he's still going to get his shot off. You know what I mean? Like You have to make sure you're open if you're a Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, especially Gabe, he's a little bit smaller. But, I mean, when MPJ sees one goes through – He's 6'10". He can get him up pretty easy, even with a good contest. So, again, I think height is one of the biggest advantages that you can bank on. And it's why the Nuggets are so hard to beat because even on some of their off days, they're just bigger than you. They can offensive rebound and things like that. And then defensively, they're making it very hard on your best player. And if he's not Herculean and the other guys don't make shots, you're dead to rights. We can talk about cliches in a series all we want and how – commanding series lead gets overused sometimes with how good Denver has been in their building. A stranglehold since March. I don't see any lifeline for Miami bigger than tonight. Because if you don't even this, and you mentioned that to start the show, if you don't even this at two games apiece, I know they've been comeback kids this entire series run. I understand that. But... You also said this the other day, which we've discussed that as well, that these other teams that they've knocked off have had clear and obvious flaws. Those aren't really as glaringly present 
when it comes to the Denver Nuggets, which is why even though the Lakers, the Warriors, the Light the Beam Kings had stolen national attention away from Denver all the way up to these NBA Finals, there's a reason they're the last team standing because they've been the best throughout the year. And I think Katie made a great point about they usually, when they've lost in the playoffs, they've more or less beat themselves. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the teams that have beat them, but they get tend to be sloppy with the ball. The effort thing that Malone mentioned. <laughs> Giving the ball away, things like that. Like That usually opens the door for the other team to slip in and make you pay for it. So if they're locked in tonight, and let's say they have... I don't know, 12 turnovers instead of like 18, 19, then they'll be okay. Um, and if it's obviously 10 or less, then they're really going to be in a good position, I think, to win the uh, win this game and put a stranglehold in the series and then close it out on Monday. We've not thrown Eddie into the research room to back up what the record might be here. So perhaps we'll get to this at the end of the show. But I just want to see James' reaction to this. Uh, James, uh, Scott Foster uh, on the crew tonight for uh, Game 4. Doesn't matter I know, I know. at all. You know what, who who the Heat would like to see not available tonight? Nikola Jokic. You know, I don't know if you uh turn the the air off in his hotel room or whatever you, the case may be, but if that guy gets off the bus and and suits up along with Jamal Murray, um, you're gonna have a game regardless of who is refing. Thank you for that. Take that, that Eddie. That, that, that went exactly how that, I, I, I expected I, it to go. I was going to say, the one thing I will say about uh, Scott Foster is that he hasn't really been a problem this postseason at all. <sighs> He's never been a problem. No, I knew it. Because the <laughs> best teams win. Thank you. I would I would hear you out if this was the NCAA tournament, but I don't want to hear it in the NBA because you have four chances to win a to win the, win a game, move on, and so I don't want to hear about teams. Oh, like this referee has ruined my team's chances. No, you just were not good enough, and it's okay. It's very hard to be a championship team. Who are it's you talking hard. to in this? By the way, all of you. I feel like, okay, feel like you're you, Jimmy. Play in these games. No, you you planted this seed. I'm sour grapes. You this. you lit this fire within me. I'm just reading. So all now these I'm papers, ranting though. all over the radio. But yes, I do think that it does not matter who is refing an NBA Finals game because if you got to this point, you're good enough to win it. If you don't, the other team is just better. I just period. said Scott Foster is refing. I don't. I didn't say anything else. I don't. He's gonna gaslight. I don't, I don't know why we had to get into this long. That's all right. We'll fight tangent. off. We'll fight during the intermission. And you know, for those who were watching on YouTube, he has like a black eye, you know, over his left eye or something like that. You'll know why. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna lump him up. <laughs> That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is with us as well. We mentioned the Colts may be spending money to solve their cornerback situation with Isaiah Rogers and a suspension likely looming but should they be spending big money at another key position we'll discuss when we come back on the Fan Midday Show Fan Midday Show from the DriveHuber.com studios Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos still to come, bets for tonight's game four of the NBA Finals coverage begins right here on 93.5107.5 the fan at 7.30 of course the ride with JMV Upcoming here at the top of the hour. But first, I mentioned the cornerback potential need for the Colts. Assume they want to go the veteran route to solve the issues or tough decisions they're going to have to make with Isaiah Rogers in all likelihood getting suspended by the NFL. $23 million roughly is what the Colts have in cap space from over the cap. And I mentioned another position you could focus on. And there's plenty of them on this Colts roster where if you told yourself, man, I can get an upgrade at one of those positions and all i got to do is spend a little money as a fan, you're all for that. Colts haven't always shown their willingness, at least in the Chris Ballard era, to go do that. 
but perhaps another opportunity to do it now. And this is mainly dun, dun, my dun. frustration with it because do I think the Colts are ultimately going to do this? No. And it's not even because Chris Ballard has not shown the interest of spending big money in free agency. It is just that DeAndre Hopkins has been rumored to potentially go to Tennessee. He's had a visit with them or has a visit with them this weekend. He's going to talk with New England. Titans, $7 million in cap space. Patriots, $14 million in cap space. And the discussion we had when we went to break and while we were off the air was, well, what can the Colts really gain for Anthony Richardson's development if they were to go get DeAndre Hopkins, even if it was just for one season? I turned that question on those other teams. What are they really getting? Like, New England can tout this receiving core all they want. I know Juju Smith-Schuster had a bounce-back year last year in Kansas City, went and took the money and ran, I don't blame him, in New England. But it's him, it's Devontae Parker and DeAndre Hopkins. Are you really worried about them within what this AFC is when it's Mac Jones back there under center? No, I'm not. So if it's a money move and DeAndre Hopkins wants money, all of the teams I just listed, there's no real benefit for them in terms of their contention status, other than it makes them feel like, oh, we've got a better chance to win some games now. You're not getting past the Jets. You're not getting past the Bills. You're not getting past the Bengals. You're not getting past the Chiefs. I feel that same way about the Colts. Why not spend the money, add what would probably be your best wide receiver instantly by the time Penn is put to paper, and help your rookie wide receiver by having a top-tier talent, or at least a former top-tier talent, more so than Brashard Perryman, to the the locker room. Gentlemen? Uh your thoughts? I see where you're going with this. It makes sense. Obviously, the money is the biggest thing. But my only thing with D-Hop is would he get frustrated that the offense isn't complete yet? I mean, even with the team that you mentioned, you kind of know what they're going to look like. But I don't know if – you can really get behind that if you're him. Now, I'm I'm of the mindset you give Anthony Richardson as many targets as possible. DeAndre, here's 15 million. Don't worry about your role. Just play. <laughs> but I, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm in living in the world of reality. They're not going to offer him 15 million. I know that, I know they're not. Okay, okay, to be clear, I, I'm just I'm just using all the cap space and throwing it out there. They're probably not going to. But if you were DeAndre Hopkins again, this from over the cap, Eddie, I was wrong earlier. I would want to go to a contender where I can make a little bit of money on a one-year prove-it deal, kind of like what Juju Smith-Schuster did last year with the Chiefs. Again, I know there's an age difference of about three or four years there. DeAndre Hopkins is 30. The Bills have $5 million in cap space. The Chargers have $12 million in cap space. The Bengals, again, this from over the cap, about $14 million in cap space. I would go to a team that has a legitimate shot of contending where I can still make a little bit of money. Like I, I wouldn't be going to the Patriots, the Titans, or the Colts, where they might be able to give you more money up front, but you're not really playing for anything. That's usually the trend for players north of 30 or around that age, particularly that position is, okay, I've made money, now I want to go try to contend for a real championship, and that's not been his, from what's been reported, MO right now with the teams he's visiting. Is that your thought? Look at New England and Tennessee and tell me they scream contender to you. I don't think it's for even for the. I don't think it's a legit visit. Like he's going. I think he's going to go to try and get interest from other teams. Like mm-hmm. we've already. It's been reported that okay. Buffalo and Kansas City are, quote unquote, reportedly out on DeAndre Hopkins. So the cap space to make it happen. Yes, I mean like if they're a, if they are reportedly out, then maybe it changes their thoughts. Like oh, we see New England, we see Tennessee interested, and in maybe we should reevaluate and assess. 
our wide receiver room and add him into the mix. All I'm hearing are flies to swat at the teams you just mentioned if I'm Buffalo or from Kansas City. Well, you never know. You're an injury. They're an injury away from not winning a Super Bowl, both those teams. But the position that would have to be injured for them not to be a Super Bowl would make the wide receiver moot to begin with, which is the quarterback. I understand, but you're saying that you're that they're nothing to swat at, but like those teams that you're talking about in Buffalo, Kansas City, they're one injury away from not I winning the Super Bowl. I understand that, but if we're going down that injury path, if the injury you're talking about, which is quarterback, was to happen, having DeAndre Hopkins does not matter. Correct. So you see why I'm saying they're not really connected there because... But no, what I'm saying is like if he went to Tennessee or if he went to New England, sure. you're you're saying, oh, they're nothing like... They're nothing to but you know fly swata or whatever you, the phrase that you said was, but like they could like you never know like if Kansas City gets an injury if uh, let's say Herbert goes down with an injury let's say Bur- like somebody goes down with an injury that opens a door for another team like a New England. See, but I would or Tennessee. It, I think you would. There, that's not even. It's Jacksonville. It's Baltimore. It's the Chargers. There's a number of teams that would be at front of mind for me hey, that's before the, New the England or for Denver. The AFC West, yeah, right? I mean they are. They're going to be. Wait for the news article <laughs> soon. Chargers favorites win the AFC West. You know, like clockwork, guaranteed. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Absolutely nuts. Like, thank goodness there's not a like. I mean, Houston is a major market, but thank goodness as as a if you're a Colts fan, you never had to really deal with another like super major market of a team. Like, oh, they're favorites to win your division, even though they've never done anything. Can you imagine if during the Peyton Manning Andrew Luck years, the conversation was, "Hey, the Texans have a real shot to win this thing." Like that was the drum. Oh man, Herbert and company over there. They're really good. I, I, no, I, lo- I love Justin Herbert, to be clear. I wish he didn't play in the AFC West. I, I, I love him. I love his game. I love watching the Chargers. Like, they're a fun team. But year after, this is a whole other thing. This is like with the Scott Foster thing earlier with James. We right, need to steer the right, ship back in order. Right, let's get but, back to but, what we was talking about, w- me. Wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins. Again, I, I'm of the camp of what does it look like when it comes to the money and give Anthony Richardson as many targets as possible, even if it is just a one-year deal. I think it's worth it just because nothing matters but the quarterback. And if you can have the quarterback become more comfortable and feel like he's developing at a faster rate, it is worth it in my opinion. But we don't know what the Colts have in Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce. So if you insert DeAndre Hopkins into this situation, you're probably hindering the development of Alec Pierce a little bit. So you're wasting a year on that rookie contract, and then you insert him back to the wide receiver two role if Hopkins leaves, or when Hopkins leaves after that first year. So to me, I think, yes, it helps him with another weapon, but I think it also hurts the development and figuring out when you're Chris Ballard what kind of talent you have right there at the wide receiver position right now wouldn't you argue that's more though for michael Pittman jr than pierce because the different roles those two would play well pierce is strictly outside he has to move inside hopkins is strictly outside so you could play those two outside pierce doesn't or Pittman does doesn't go into the slot often but he can but then you're then that limits josh downs i I guess i'm looking more at the larger issue with you're right it could limit development but that's also the colt's fault and the reason it's the colt's fault is because They've rolled the dice on retread quarterbacks throughout a lot of the rookie tenures of wide receivers the last couple of years to the point that like, it is astounding that we are entering yet another season of Michael Pittman Jr. And we don't have a real feel for what his ceiling could be. Mm-hmm. And that is all on the fault of the Colts because of the quarterback decisions they've made. And just the like, especially last year, if I'm Alec Pierce, 
I don't want to say it wasn't a wasted season because he had flashes. Like he he, he, he caught he a had, game winner. He caught a game winner. He had some real flashes there. But the reason we can't make a proper grade on what the Colts wide receivers could be is because they put themselves in this boat of where's the real evaluation when, like you mentioned, in agent conversations when looking for a new contract, look at who's throwing on the ball. I mean, I get Eddie's point. It's a good point, but I look at it like it's a scale. It's got two sides. What matters more, the development of your rookie quarterback or the development of Alec Pierce? The one I'm holding up my left hand for those listening. The one in my left hand <laughs> matters more as Anthony Richardson. And so, um, again, this is the stuff that really reminds me of why I would never want to be a GM uh, because there's a lot of risk-reward decisions you have to make that aren't just cut and dry, yes, no, up, down, left, right type of things. But let me add this caveat to that. So you would rather see Anthony Richardson development, rightfully so, but then Hopkins leaves after this first year, after the one-year contract, you're back to square one. I don't think you're back to square one because if he shows promise, that opens you up to pursue other wide receivers who might be on the market. And that's the point that we've hammered home when looking at the last couple waves of rising quarterbacks. There's been a move to go get a high-level number one when you know you need to fill that void on your team. Look at what the Eagles did when they went and got A.J. Brown. Look what the Bills did when they got Stephon Diggs. And and for me, I don't think that DeAndre Hopkins is, is that. To Eddie's point, there's going to be an obvious void there, but it would... What you just mentioned, James, it would make it so that if you're a general manager, you're realizing now, okay... We need a true number one on this team, and, and that's going to happen regardless of Hopkins here or not. That that is the cycle of life. As a general manager, we talk about how hard it is, and it is. It's very difficult. But in terms of easy answers, but you have to find the hard solution. It's find a wide receiver, find a true number one wide receiver for your young quarterback, or find a true receiving weapon. Look at any of the quarterbacks that are in this arms race in the AFC. There's a number one wide receiver or number one receiver there. I emphasize the receiver because Kansas City has Travis Kelsey. He's obviously a tight end. But Stephon Diggs out in Buffalo. Jamar Chase for the Bengals. It's it's hand in hand with quarterback development. Where's the wide receiver one? Colts don't have one right now. And I guess I ask you this, James. Cornerback or wide receiver we know that spending money surprises people in general on the Colts beat with free agency. Chris Ballard, I believe, knows that this is not a signing bonus he gets at the end of the year or a Christmas bonus by saving cap space. That that's not added on to him for extra millions of dollars when the season ends. Where would you be more surprised from the Colts overview in Chris Ballard's camp? Spending money at the cornerback spot? or spending money at wide receiver at this juncture here on June 9th? Cornerback. Cornerback. You'd be more surprised if they spent money on corner. I'm not questioning. I'm just trying to... Yeah, I do think so. I I think that um, if you're going to spend some money, wide receiver makes the most sense. Um, But I just... I'm curious to see, because it's kind of late to pick up a cornerback at this point. You have a lot of bodies. It's not like they don't have, like, players available for that position, and do they just, again, do you just, hey, throw your hands in the air. Hey, well, we had a plan. We don't have a cornerback now. And so we're just going to, you know, roll the dice on being young. And, again, if the reward is we get another top five pick, it's probably worth it. And I know Colts fans are listening. 
let's just I'm going to just lean all the way into it. If you don't get a cornerback this season and the other teams are able to score fairly easy on you because you have no defensive secondary that can really hold up, you end up with a very high draft pick and a guy by the name of Marvin Harrison Jr. is available. There's your wide receiver. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. That that would be a, a perfect scenario, honestly, if you get development, losses, and a high pick all in one. I don't think it's going to happen like that. But I do think, again, the the biggest thing to me is, is the ability to add playmakers to Anthony Richardson, whether it's through the draft, free agency, you know, whatever the case may be. I didn't think we'd get to a point in the show where Marvin Harrison Jr.'s name would return. But I will say this. We can talk and joke all we want about mock drafts and the futility of them and how still we have migraines and headaches from this previous draft cycle. There is no storyline. I am more looking forward to reading from you, to reading from Kevin, to reading to everybody on the Colts beat than the internal struggle that will likely take place regardless of what pick the Colts have. For Jim Ursay and his dream, we think his dream anyway, to bring Marvin Harrison Jr. to Indianapolis. Yeah, Jim Ursay mentioned uh, during our draft coverage when he talked to us that he spoke to Marvin Harrison Sr., you know, about a player. And at the time, we're like, you know, we're joking around, okay, this could mean two things, C.J. Stroud and uh, that, that, you know, fine, really talented son of yours. So, again, I mean, that's a long way to, you know, to, to say that, they would love to have him in Indy, but obviously the biggest thing to kind of drive it back to the more reality that we're in, the oh, biggest thing is in. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Oh, Lord. I mean, the that would truly... Is, the reality is we're all chips in. Yeah, here. that would be a true all chips in moment if they landed that guy. But again, what matters this season right now is Anthony Richardson. So I think that, hey, you at least check for D-Hop. You at least check. I think that's fair to say, right? Like, you cannot just – a guy that good being available in June doesn't happen very often. So, I think you at least check to see what it would take. Just like Chris Ballard told us, they at least checked what it would take to bring in Lamar Jackson. Now, you might say no, but at least check. Kick the tires. This process of trying to be a general manager and trying oh, I'm to – I'm stressed out. It, 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 causes, it causes stress for sure. I mean, Eddie, let's be honest. There's a lot that goes in – to the sausage making process of being an NFL general manager and being able to construct a roster the right way. Oh my goodness! I'm that, disappointed that, in you. That, I didn't ask for it, but I but I paraphrased it, and you didn't you didn't give me what I wanted. I'm very I'm sad. sorry. It's okay. That this isn't a touchscreen anymore. Unfortunately. That, that entire night, those quotes will forever live in infamy for me. But um, I was trying to get PTSD more for you there because we have the sound, but it's okay. But um, yeah, I mean, I again, wasn't paying attention. I was being honest with you. Oh lord, these guys! It's a Friday. Bear with us, Eddie. Do me a favor. Move the mouse three inches to the right and click it. <laughs> Oh, I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage. But I do know how to build a football team. Is that what you wanted? That's what I wanted. Thank you. It's not what I wanted. <laughs> but no one cares what I want. We care what you All want, that matters is what Anthony Richardson wants, what the team wants for him. And I'm excited to see, regardless of who they bring in, just how, in all seriousness, this process goes because so much of it will be this balancing act of every decision you make being weighed as far as what it does for the quarterback. Particularly on the offensive end yes. with how you're weighing these decisions. Every single thing. And to Eddie's point, regardless of if it's DeAndre Hopkins or not, that is going to be 
He's not, by the way. There's been no rumors of it. Like, it would take a huge organizational mentality shift by the Colts for him to even yes. have a visit. And a large bag of money. That, too. Make sure you enunciate that F there, pal. Just continue, please. For the Colts to actually make a move to go get him, the development thing is a valid point, but if it's Anthony Richardson starting week one, I'm with you. I'm doing everything in my power to make sure he has as easy of a transition as possible to the next level. And when we talk about the lack of reps and how it's concerning, Kevin Bowen highlighted that with us. Podcast will be up. Search the Fan Midday Show wherever you get your podcast about his numbers. And people forget just how little experience he has under center. Yeah, I would do everything in my power, even if it's just for one year, to make his transition to the National Football League easier. This year matters the most because it's the first one. You want to get off on a good foot, and you want to make sure that you did everything in your power when you look back in retrospect, which is, I guess, redundant in retrospect, that this is a season where you went all in, all chips in, to make sure the rookie quarterback is put in an environment that is the most conducive to his success. Now, again, all of it is calculated guesses. You Mm. don't know for sure what's going to work. But I don't think you should be able to look back and say, well, if we would have did this, we would have probably had a better season. Like, no, you need to be doing all that now. If you're looking back with regret, you're looking back because you're out of a job. And that is not the type of territory that you want to be in if you are Chris Boward and company. We still have some bets to get to to close out the show. Potentially, we'll get some selections from Eddie Garrison. We're going to force James Boyd to make a selection oh, no, I'm in EJ Game Speed. 4 of the NBA Finals. You don't have to place the wager. We, 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 we just want to know your prognostication. You don't actually have to press submit on that bet, Mr. EJ Speed. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison bets all around when we return on a Friday on the Fan Midday Show. A lot to get to to close the week. First, we'll get to some bets, but before I do that, Eddie, great musical choice, podcast audience. This is how we do it, Montel Jordan. Just a just a classic. Let's play some bets. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. It's a fan midday show. Deep cut right there is what that is. Today's Plays of the Day. We're going to lay one and a half on the run line as the Milwaukee Brewers host the Oakland Athletics. Also going to take the New York Yankees on the money line. They start a series against the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry, Eddie. I've not learned. I will yet to learn. Maybe we'll try again next week in basketball. Taking the Denver Nuggets outright. That's minus 165, so you're sacrificing a ton of juice there. But I think the Nuggets take a commanding 3-1 series lead. If that's not up your alley, ride with the Joker. Over 30 and a half total points. It has been... A struggle week to this point. Two and three yesterday, five and eight on the week. Still time to bounce back, though, with today's plays. Again, Nuggets money line, Yogi's over 30 and a half, Yankees money line, Brewers minus one and a half run line. Eddie, what do you got? We're taking uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, half a run on the first five. Tyler Glasnow at home, really like the matchup against the Rangers. I like that. Uh, it's probably the only play I'll go with. Coltrane on the mound makes me want to take the Yankees, but 154 is too much for me. James, Nuggets or Heat? Nuggets. Okay, season three, episode nine, Game of Thrones. Text me when you get to that. Right with JMV is next. (laughs) Have a great weekend. We'll see you.